Baby takes very, very much work, huh? <laughs> Thank you for telling me that, Jan. I didn't know that. What is he, an idiot savant? Rebecca, we, we be late. Hey, Rebecca, please. Stay with me. I have got a date. Oh, excuse me for cramping your romantic style. Rebecca, we be late, huh? And you can go out with the whole damn string section for all I care. That's not the issue right now. I need you here. Oh, I can't be here oh, now. Oh, she doodled. Doodled? <laughs> yes, doodled. What's the matter? Don't babies doodle in Hungary? We're leaving. Be Rebecca. No, wait. Come on, Rebecca, please. Don't go. Peter, you're a very big boy. You're very capable. And you're going to get through this just fine. I hate the cello. And welcome, 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 welcome to the podcast that puts the plus in Disney Plus. It's talking the Mickey. My name is Ian. My name's Ellie. And I'm Ethan. And it is, without any hyperbole, been another week. <laughs> it, yeah, it's, it's been a week. It's been a week. Um, and so, I mean, there's some things that, you know, as the week goes by, we talk about the things that, that, that happen within a regular week. So, uh, I, I, I always like to give a little bit of a shout to the countries by which we are charting and a uh, big thank you to the peoples of Canada, uh, Japan and the Netherlands for continuing to have us consistently in your, um, in your podcast film review ranks. You obviously know good taste and, uh. And good quality content when you hear it. You are very excellent. We love you. You are very excellent. It's just excellent needed a further amplifier, like the word very in front of it. <laughs> That's how good Canada, Japan, and the Netherlands They're are. They're very excellent. Yep. Yes. Um, and if you wanted to make us feel very excellent, uh, really, we just take two seconds and just throw a five-star review, rating or review up on Apple Podcasts slash iTunes for us. I know it sounds like it's like this thing that's like well what does it really matter actually it does really do something whenever we get the review it's usually me who stumbles upon it and i'm screenshot it and send it out to the group and it makes us do a kind of dance. a happy dance in our socially distanced manner <laughs> from each other so uh be, be a part of that be the thing that makes ethan do a heel kick oh i love doing heel kicks you, you do love doing oh. a heel kick no bad cat I think. <laughs> he keeps jumping into my bin he's like a little bin gremlin right now and yes, <laughs> Ethan has very evocative emotions towards all things. So it could be a heel kick or it could be that with his uh, adorable kitten named Snips. Yes? Yes, Snips. Yes. Uh, and then some shout outs, as is our want. Uh, Dwayne, who got a hold of us to say he was getting ready to watch Coco just so we could listen to the podcast. Aw. So, well, bless him. Thanks a lot, Dwayne. We love uh, you, Dwayne. That was Ethan's first podcast with us, actually. Yeah, so he can hear very like, monumentous. He can hear like baby podcast Ethan, where he's like, "Hi, I'm here to talk about Coco." I said like, like five things that, that I don't know if I, I don't show. I don't know if that's true at all. I thought I thought you were very insightful on Coco, which is why we asked you to come back. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I was like, no, this is a, this is a, a, an ingredient we don't have, so it, it's it's a good mix. Oh, um, I'm so glad. Andy talked about Doc Hollywood. With cars. And he said, How is it? He said, I'm an hour and a half into the podcast. How are you only bringing up Doc Hollywood now? And to <laughs> Dwayne, I would say, because I was holding it for the end. Not be, yeah. For minute one, I remember I, I told Ellie beforehand, I said, There's a film that needs to be watched before cars is watched. Trust me. 
You weren't wrong. I wasn't wrong. Um, and so also some shout outs to a couple podcasts, the Pretty Nice Podcast and the Drink, D- Drink Drunk Dead Podcast. Thank you very much. Are you much. drunk? I am not drunk, nor am I dead. <laughs> did you drink the drink? I did not drunk the drink. In fact, I'm feeling pretty nice, as Pretty Nice Podcast would say. <laughs> so thank you. They do good work. Uh, and they've been kind enough to sort of throw us out as a recommendation towards others on the Twitter. So we would like to, A, reciprocate that, which I think we have. Uh, on the Twitter, but also to say here on the air, uh, they do good work, especially if you're into supernatural stuff. I know for sure Drink Drunk Dead have just launched a Patreon. Go ahead, check them out. They do some good stuff. Ethan, you've checked out some of their stuff too, haven't you? Yeah, I really like their stuff. They did um, a really good episode recently on the Black Eyed Kids, which I've always been fascinated in, so it came at like a perfect time when I was sort of going back into my research for it. Plus, every episode they shout out to a charity that helps uh, some group of people, and I think that's very good. I think charities should try and help groups of people. I mean, that's usually what they're supposed to do. <laughs> or, or animals. That's, that's or, what I've heard, yeah. at least. Yes. <laughs> Those are the good ones. The ones that we endorse are the ones that try to help groups of people <laughs> or animals. Or the environment. I think that's pretty much it. The ones who just avoid helping themselves. Those are the ones I like. Again, for clarity, the ones who avoid helping themselves. There we go. <laughs> Uh, and then just a quick thing. Uh, today's Thursday. If you're, long, if you're listening to this on day one, you'll be receiving this on Thursday anyway. We don't record on Thursday. We're receiving it on Thursday. And that would mean that tomorrow we are dropping a roundtable discussion on Robin Williams on both, uh, both feeds, both the Best Film Ever feed and on the Talking the Mickey feed because Robin Williams uh, definitely made an impact on both sides of that sort of equation. It felt warranted to release it on both, on both uh, channels, so to speak. So uh, definitely I think that's worth listening to. I even got some feedback today from someone who was a first-time listener saying how much they enjoyed the roundtable format. And so I was like, excellent. We will definitely um, – we're, we're getting it back anyway. So, yeah. And Robin Williams felt it was the right time and he's the right guy to do it with. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to doing another roundtable. Yeah. And have look, been and enjoying the films as well. I've done a little bit of research. Me too. Plans. And I think this is the good time. I was going to bring up a little bit later, but I think this is the perfect time to pivot, actually, because I woke up today. We all live in the UK, and I woke up yeah. today to a screen, screen notification on my phone, a push notification, that Chadwick Boseman had, had passed away. And I probably haven't felt on this level or this sort of thing out of the blue since Robin Williams passed away about an actor, about, about a, a, a personality, maybe Kobe Bryant, but about an actor – uh, definitely since Robin Williams. And so it was a hell of a shock. I, it was weird. I had some sort of weird deja vu. I don't know if I saw it in the middle of the night groggily and then put my phone down. And then when I woke up, sort of saw it twice for the first time. Yeah. In a I, sense. Think, I think I had two push notifications Maybe. when I woke up this morning about but it. But for some reason, I kind of got up and went, I dreamt about this. Now, I don't think I probably dreamt about this. I think probably I, I, I had a push notification, Maybe one was saw from it twice. Twitter and one was from the Maybe news something like that. Mm-hmm. But it, I had two Twitter ones about it. Yeah. I had those, those moments, and then I was like, Chris Evans said this. I was like, this isn't true. This, this is, can't be. It's, it's that thing where you see so many Twitter ruses, and I think we're trained mm-hmm. to try and find and live in disbelief. This can't be real. This can't be real. Yeah. And then you find out it very much is. And so we, we, we found out a lot today we found out that Chadwick Boseman had been living for four years with colon cancer and getting treatment and still making excellent films he did um, was it seven films in those four years yeah yeah and all very physical films physical films and ones that um you could have easily taken some of these off some of them were chances the kind of they weren't all super big but they were like acting chances and the chance to just produce great art 
And uh, I don't think it's necessarily about legacy or or things like it could be. I don't, I don't know, but I think it was just about an artist striving to make good art. Oh, without a doubt. And I, the one I really wanted to see, and I haven't had a chance to see it yet, is the one in. I think it's based in New York with the bridges. Oh, Twenty One Bridges. Yeah, I really yeah, want to see that. I really like. It's a really good performance from. Oh, you've seen it. Yeah, I yeah. saw. I saw it in cinemas ages ago, and it was, it was really good. So I know I, I was I'm part of some film groups on Facebook and there were some people already talking about what do you do with Black Panther and there's some people who very vehemently felt it wasn't an appropriate time for that. I think whichever side of the equation you fall on that, I think that's okay. Mm. Um, I, I imagine Ryan Coogan is having some thoughts today about and, and Kevin Feige and I don't think any of these are disrespectful, but I imagine first and foremost they're mourning the loss of... Uh, a work colleague, and I'm going to assume in some cases a friend. And so um, you think about what Black Panther meant and the idea that Black Panther broke the formula for what a action movie was supposed to be. I teach media studies. I teach film studies. And we used to always say that uh, the visible the characters who are visible minorities, you know, you're pretty much hoping for that, that sidekick character. Mm. Or if you're lucky, you can be the villain. And so Black Panther came out. I think everybody was looking to see how that was going to perform from the box office. And obviously it was a game changer. So, and it was uh, um, nominated for Best Picture. To this day, the only Marvel property that has been nominated for Best Picture. So um, I think it, that will... You know how a legacy, there's something huge in that film. He, he created a, an amazing opportunity for the future, especially for minority characters i mean 2018 was a good year anyway because you have black panther and then that kind of springboarded mars morales and spider-verse yes but i i remember i remember sitting in the theater seeing that and the amount of kids that like were actually just able to see themselves represented there was a video i saw on twitter today of like a whole class in america celebrating because they got to go see it and all this kind of stuff and it is it's 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 amazing to see the the impact it's made even just two years on. Now, we're a bunch of white people sitting around a table, but I have my ear to terrestrial radio, uh, to what was happening in the States, to what was happening globally, and the conversations you heard from some people. And what I heard a lot of, well, there were two touchstone moments kind of for, for some uh, men about my age, but who were black. And one of them was Barack Obama, President in the White House. But the other one is taking their kids to see a superhero where the superhero looks like them, not the sidekick. It's not Rhodey. It's not uh, Falcon, although Falcon would then take up the shield. Yeah. But this is, and, and so much of that narrative kind of talks about what is the place of um, black people in the world? What is the place of, you know, that, that idea that so often even places like Africa, we look at them thanks to decades of um, drip feeding, of images, of of Africa's being poor, of Africa's being in need. Mm-hmm. And then we saw Africa as being advanced. We saw Africa as being wealthy. We saw Africa as being uh, ahead of us. And then what does that mean? And what, do, what does that community owe to itself at home and abroad? And that was a really sophisticated storyline for a Marvel property. I thought. I think it's great. I think it's it's one of the more deeper ones. I think that they've that they've done. Yeah. Because they even painted that that there's no real villain. There is two two lifestyles that have been lifestyles in the right word, but sort of 
experiences between the two. I mean, as far as a film, ex- yeah. as far as a film structure, there is a villain yeah. in sense in Eric, also known as Killmonger. Am I right on that? Uh, yeah, Killmonger. Yeah. But, I mean, you look at what they do, and he's not a villain. He's just, like you said, he's someone who's had a different experience. And that's what makes the best villains are the ones where you go, okay, I might not agree with what's happening uh, be- because I, I've, been, I've been framed to identify yeah. with uh, Wakanda and with um, Black Panther. But yeah. in a different world, I, I totally understand how he ends up where he is. As far as as far as Eric Killmonger, yeah, would he have? Yeah, and And I would feel angry, and I would feel neglected, and I would want to say, "What about me? What about where we're from?" And uh, there's a whole, you know, there's still ninety nine percent of that cast of that crew of that team who brought that forward who who still are around and still have a lot more. Mm. This was more of a one man show to get us here. However. I mean, Chadwick Boseman was the face of it, and I believe it's Chadwick Boseman. Uh, Ethan, if you've heard differently, please correct me. Um, I believe it was his choice to go away from a British accent and do it in more of an African-style accent. I believe originally it was written to be done in a British accent, and he said, no, we need to do more of an African-style accent with this. I didn't even know that. I believe That's that very was very impressive. Yeah, I believe that was on him. I'll double check that, but but I believe that was on him. So um, I think in the spirit of that Chadwick Boseman for four years continued to work and he needed to produce art and he needed to do things like that. And that was his choice because that's what he was passionate about. I think for us then, it's okay for us to segue and talk about the film we are doing today yeah. and, and go ahead with what we do. And there'll be time for um, a deeper analysis of Chadwick Boseman about what he's meant to film, to the MCU. Uh, everything's feeling very raw right now. I would feel bad if we didn't have some sort of a discussion, but also without that temptation of going, it's timely, let's give it the whole thing when actually let's, let's, let's reflect and let's, let's do a little bit now like we have, and let's come back to that. Cause that's definitely a conversation I still want to have yeah. um, with yeah. um, perspective and what's going to happen in the coming days and weeks still, because there'll be stories and there will be, plaudits and there will yeah, be definitely. all these extra things the, the narrative is not done being written I'm sure and we'll learn a lot more in the next i, I think we'll learn a whole lot about 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 you know a, a lot of positives we didn't know yeah definitely. a lot of private yeah. stories that'll start to come out and it'll be i've really... seen a lot about him going to like um cancer wards for kids during that time yeah. when he was like struggling and i'm like oh it's just it's the, the fact that he's like smiling and laughing and having a t- good time with him is it's something that I think a lot of kids going through that will find very inspirational. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. If I saw that when I was, when I was their age, I would have, I would have, he would have been my hero at that point in time. And I think I'm, I'm just realizing I called the director Ryan Kuglin when the director's name, if I'm not mistaken, is Ryan Kugler. Am I right with that? Yeah. Yeah. Kugler. Yeah. Please, please feel free next time, Ethan, to correct me respectfully. <laughs> <laughs> Rather than have me go out. I don't want another Jeff Bridges, Jeff Daniels fiasco like <laughs> happened when we covered speed on the other podcast. So on Best that note, leather. this is a time for some reflections and corrections on my part. That actually worked out kind of as an actual segue. Because <laughs> uh, I went back and looked at the scene where Stitch puts his hand in the blender, so I thought. The hand never actually goes in the blender. So the milkshake is definitely milkshake. Oh, okay. But um, I'm still, I, I'm not backing down on my whole that scene shouldn't be in there. Because a blender for jokes still isn't a good shout. Agreed. And I still 
But it wasn't as bad as putting the hand in. I will acknowledge that it's not as bad as I thought, but it still shouldn't have been in the cut. Pun not intended. Um, <laughs> wow. And then finally, I wanted to ask about this, because we asked last time, and I thought about it a good chunk of the week. We said, why doesn't Lilo and Stitch get half the love that Frozen did? And I said, maybe it's because of the cultural decision they went where Ohana means, you know, um, never letting go, means family, means all that stuff. And that sisterly bond kind of got wrapped up in that. I'm still going to stand by that and say, but I'm going to say that Frozen is so hit you over the head with it. Yeah. You're my sister, and that means you're my true love. Whereas, I'll say this about Lilo and Stitch, it was nuanced in that. Well, it wasn't nuanced, it just wasn't hit you in the head with a sledgehammer like Frozen was. I never thought I would use the word classy to describe Lilo and Stitch, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. But uh, I'm trying to think, a week gone on, I don't feel bad about, about my rating of 17th out of 18. I'm still sticking with that, I think. I look at it and I go, from, in a vacuum, I go, well, surely it's better than that. Surely it is. And then I look and I go, no. I just have issues with the story on so <laughs> many levels. So that's it. You know, if you, care, if you don't care about character or story or plot, I'm sure the film's great. Yeah. Yeah. For, for me. <laughs> oh, God. My, 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 my media uh, professors are going to hate me. Why is that? Because I'll be like, oh, I just like it because it makes me feel happy, not makes because me... it's nuanced <laughs> or written well. Well, not because then you can answer why does it make you feel happy. And if you oh, can deconstruct yeah. an answer that, you're fine. Because it means that you've – because they're in – here's a little film for you or a little media thing. There's a, a desired decoding. The desired decoding is not that I go, I hate this. But desired decoding is that you go, I love this. It makes me feel warm and fuzzy. And that's – so that's exactly – you you would – decoded it as they wanted to it doesn't mean it's correct but it means you, you you got their preferred reading whereas i came in with what's called an oppositional reading where i'm going no i don't oh, like yeah. it i like when people give me a reason why they like or dislike something instead of just it's good it's bad it's always like my one thing i do tell like, my give students me a, give me a reason Break i do tell my down. students you can have any opinion in the world you want you really can but yeah. you have to be able to justify that Oh yeah. If you can back it up, I will listen to your argument. But if you go don't like it, why? Because that's no that's not a reason. That's just a word. <laughs> and it's called a conjunction. It links two ideas and you're not doing either of those things. Kids don't go back to school until next week. Let's uh let's let them keep their holiday no, no, for a little while. Because this goes out on Thursday and they're back to school on Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> so Suckers. let's jump in to the uh, film. So, three men and a baby. And I think I'm the only one who had seen this going in. Am I right with that? Well, I thought I'd yeah. seen it before, but I can't remember any of it. I and think... it would have been from when I was really young. Okay. So... Well, hang on, because this for me... Okay, I'll explain why, why I was led to sort of suggest this last week. I saw this probably in 1987, if not early 88, because of the jump between the American market and the British market. Because I was still living in the UK at the time. And it was the first, like, grown-ups movie. As much as as, as close to grown-up as this movie can get. I think this isn't a film that's marketed at children. Can we agree with that? Like, it's, it's, it's directed towards maybe a wide audience, but not solely for children. Well, I mean, there's heroin yeah. in it. So there's it's definitely not marketed it. at the kid audience. <laughs> and I really, uh, I remember I loved it as a kid. Loved it, loved it, loved it. And uh, I remember walking to the cinema in Barry St. Edmonds and walking back from the cinema and just being like, it was great. It was my Citizen Kane. <laughs> three citizens saying that about three minute a baby ever. three citizens and a caney so <laughs> i think there's quite a lot of sort of technically adult themes in but they're not really 
explored in an adult way. It's a lot of a wink and a nod. For everybody, yeah. It's a lot of wink and nods. I mean, you see bags of of heroin, and that's as. I think the word heroin's used like twice. Yeah. Yeah. So they tell you what it is, but it's not like they show them using it or anything. Like, like exactly. Uh, and on the on the first reveal, you just see it fall out and them go, oh no. Yeah. And so the adults and the kids are going, what's that? Yeah. And there's a lot of um, sort of references to promiscuity, but there's nothing oh, actually shown. Is there ever? Um, so let's jump in. Uh, this film was directed by Leonard Nimoy. I wrote down so much confusion because I was like, that can't be the Leonard Nimoy. That can't be Spock. It is Spock. I'm terrified. <laughs> the, these women in this opening sequence were not going where no one had gone before. They were going where many had gone before. Um, and so this was a remake, actually, of a French film. Oh, yeah. Called three, knew called three Men in a Cradle. Obviously, it was called something else in French, but that's what it <laughs> And it was only in 85. So they really kind of got to it about making the American remake. And uh, the original the – go ahead. I was going to say the CEO at the time only saw it because he went to do Disneyland Paris. I have a weird amount of knowledge kind of about the production of this. Oh, really? I read a book. I read a book about Michael Eisner. I was like, yeah, he did this and this. Do you know how much the rights cost? No. How much the rights cost? $1 million. That's – I'm starting to think that's probably actually a fair bit of money for a foreign film back then. Yeah. Especially yeah. in, like, the 80s, 90s. Yeah, I think so. Ethan, do you have a book about everything? Uh, if it relates to a podcast, probably. There we go. <laughs> um, and so it was, the French version was directed by Colin Serrault, who wrote and directed the original French version. Uh, and she was set to direct the remake, but as soon as the three male leads were cast, she dropped out. <laughs> because she's very feminist and anti-patriarchal in her messages in her story and i'm sorry there was a fairly heavy um not maybe not patriarchal is the right way misogynistic might be the way at least how the characters are in the beginning yeah and we, mm-hmm. and, and we don't judge them for it we celebrate them for it in many ways but then they're mocked mercilessly throughout the film really aren't they well, only once only once their rhythm has been Removed. Like, there's no questioning. It's not like Wedding Crashers, which I didn't think I'd do on a Disney podcast, but Wedding Crashers, where they sit down and they kind of go, is this getting a bit old? And they sort of come to their realization themselves with nothing else really changing in their lives. Mm-hmm. They just go, we're getting too old for this. Uh, and Three Men and a Baby, actually, they're loving life until the oh, interruption yeah. comes. So I don't know if and it necessarily... Why would you not be with that apartment? Oh my God, we'll it's amazing. Um, so, uh, so she dropped out and Leonard Nimoy came in and Leonard Nimoy and Michael Eisner had a history where generally Michael Eisner would just generally say to Sub Nimoy, yeah, you can do it. <laughs> and whenever Nimoy, uh, when, when Eisner was at Paramount, Nimoy got to direct a lot of stuff for Paramount. And then when he oh. made the jump, Nimoy made the jump. <laughs> so uh, the director of photography was Adam Greenberg, who would then go on later to uh, be the cinematographer for Ghost, oh. uh, Terminator 1 and Terminator 2. And, wow. then, and then he would do Junior. So they, 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 oh. they can't all be winners. <laughs> um, and like he would also work as a, as a cinematographer, not the, head, not the director of photography, but as maybe as a cameraman, on things like Sister Act and things like that. But these ones, because, I'm going to say, I didn't really notice a whole lot of great cinematography in this film, I thought. You could convince me this is a TV show, and I would not, like, fault you for that. Well, I think the casting helps with that, too. Oh, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, I don't the, think there's anything particularly good or bad. I've deleted the composer's name by mistake, which is a shame. Maybe, Ellie, maybe you can look up the composer's name. Uh, because he... I like the score in this. I thought it was ridiculously simple, and they used the same, like, five-note riff almost. There was, like, a happy one, a sad yeah. one, and a tense one. And he just kept going back to those three loops in, in different slight changes. But really, he was like, I'm, I'm all in on these three melodies. And he apparently he's won like 12 or 13 Oscars, but I couldn't really find oh. anything that I knew him from. Marvin so, Hamlish. Marvin Hamlish. I don't know what he's winning them for, per se, but uh, he's also the longtime composer for Good Morning America, the, uh, <laughs> oh. the, the wake-up show, which doesn't win you Oscars. Oscars have to be for films. So um, This was a film in a cycle of late 1980s baby pictures, where babies were big business. That's a lot of plosives that went into my, my microphone today. <laughs> Babies were big business in the booming 80s, right before Bush came to power. Here good we job are. you've got a pop oh filter. God. It is. Uh, and they include Baby Boom, For Keeps, Immediate Family, She's Having a Baby, the French film Three Men in a Cradle, and then Look Who's Talking. All within like a five-year span, they came out and generally did well. Babies were them superhero films of the 80s. They were. <laughs> Before we had disaster films in the 90s, we had baby films in the 80s. And buddy cop movies. Um, the film was pitched to TriStar Pictures, but TriStar passed on it. Then it was pitched to Universal Pictures, but Universal felt it was too soft for them, which I can understand. Then the project to Walt Disney, who took a liking to it and released it under their Touchstone Pictures banner. And doing the research for this and writing that down is when I learned the Touchstone was a division of Walt Disney. Because I did didn't, not know that. I did not know that. So all these years when you've had Touchstone Television and Touchstone Films with that bit where you get that twinkle sound and when the lightning yeah. bolt hits the circle, it goes, I never knew that was a Disney thing. They don't really do much with Touchstone anymore. It's been a long time. It's like very few and far between. I them. think they've kind of disavowed that. And it just kind of all comes out under the mm. Disney banner. Well, that and they've just purchased so many other um, studio kind of properties. So like, you know, oh yeah, everything they're doing now, you can kind of release under Lucas, Lucasfilm, Marvel. I don't know. Fox. Fox yeah. and Walt Disney Pictures. R.A.P. New Mutants, by the way. Oh, what do you mean? Because of the, 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 the reviews? <laughs> It came out. It took like four years to come out. <laughs> it sucks. Maisie Williams um, posted something where it was a review where uh, someone had said it was the worst X Men film ever. Oh yeah, I saw and that. so I couldn't help myself. I went and looked at the Rotten Tomato score, and it was twenty three percent. I but I, I will watch it at some point. But I then went back and looked up the the Rotten Tomato score for Dark Phoenix, and oh. it was twenty two percent. <laughs> so I responded to the tweet by saying, well, it's 1% better than Dark Phoenix, so it can't be the worst now, can it? And of course, her bestie was like the, the central character in Dark Phoenix. Yeah. Who plays Sansa? What's her name? Sophie oh, Turner. Uh, Sophie Turner. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> I was like, congratulations to the two of you. You have ruined the X-Men. <laughs> I feel bad for them because that got filmed so long ago. It just kept getting pushed back yeah. and pushed back. And of course, it's during Corona that they're like, yeah, any, we'll release it. Did anybody want a reboot or a new generation of X-Men, though? I didn't want a spooky horror thing of the. I like the New Mutants comic. I really uh, like the comic. And I was like, oh, I'm up for this. And then they were like, we're going to whitewash a lot of characters. The pro here's the problem, though, because this is the definition of oversaturation. Because the last time, not to get on a tan we'll come back to Two Men and the Baby. Oh, yeah. But... Um, <laughs> Like, the last time you did something this, um, what's the word I'm looking for here? No, uh, obscure. Yeah. Was Guardians of the Galaxy. Now, when Guardians of the Galaxy came out, you only had, like, 
four or five existing properties and characters and things people care about. And then you go, we're going to launch this totally new one, but it's a bunch of characters you haven't heard of, and it's going to remind you of the X-Men, but we're not bringing the X-Men back. And I think, and, and Corona, and all that. And I think audiences are going, no. And it's not even, it would be one thing if the film rocked away with like a 90% rating. Oh, yeah. But 23%. When it's a film that the first trailer came out in like 2017, 2018, yeah. and now it's 2020, I'm like, cool. I keep forgetting this exists. Well, maybe for the best. We'll see what their financials are. <laughs> but the financials for Three Men and a Baby, it was the first live action Disney film ever to gross over 100 million in the US. What? It was also the highest grossing film in 1987 in America. Beating like Fatal Attraction, which was supposed to be the big one, and this this it's come out of nowhere and destroyed it. So that one million dollars for the rights doesn't sound so bad now, does That's it? One million for the rights. Uh, I don't know. I couldn't find the budget. I don't know if you're able to take a look for the budget for Three Men and a Baby. I think it's like the book. I think said sixty million or something like that. I don't think it was any way. Fifteen million. Fifteen sounds a lot better. Where did I get sixty from? <laughs> I'm like this is 1987, man. Like nothing's getting made for sixty million unless it also, it's like Batman or it Dick Tracy. So says that it got. 240 million. No, I was just saying in the US. So worldwide, it gets to 240. It got ah. to 170 domestic. I see. Canada and US. Because I remember seeing it over here in the UK and it was a big deal here. Um, and it was the highest grossing remake of a French film in US box office history. To which point I went, well, how many have there been? Did they do Amelie? Because no, I feel I'm- that's something the, the Americans would try and ruin. Amelie wasn't a remake. They just released it. Oh, I, I, I meant, like, did they ever try and remake it? No, 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 no. <clears throat> if it was Amalie, it would be, like, Amy. And she'd live <laughs> in, like, San Francisco and, like, go to Starbucks. She doesn't, like, um... Oh, God, what's the little, uh... Paste, not pastry, like, dessert. Creme brulee. She doesn't like creme brulee. She just likes, like, brownies or something. Yeah, and doesn't like... Pop-tarts. Fa- and, and she does And she still... Pie. And she still has a MySpace account. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, it's Zoe de Chanel. Just being Zoe de Chanel. <laughs> Link to Hamilton, the Amelie musical with Philippa Sue is really good. Oh, is it really? Yeah. And we are, man, this is like, okay, we have to count our tangents because we have lost the plot <laughs> twice now yeah, you have. during this. That's All right. A lot Back about on this track, film. So let's jump into the film proper. So we start off with Meet the Bad Boys, and it went to bad. It wasn't to bad boys, bad boys. What you going to do? It wasn't cops. <laughs> it was bad, 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 bad boys. They make you feel so good. And it's a time lapse of Steve Gutenberg's character, Michael, painting. And I don't know if you noticed, Steve Gutenberg got top billing in this film. Really? He was the first name. Oh. If memory served. I'm sure it that, went I'm sure it what? went Gutenberg. I'm sure it went Gutenberg, Danson, Selleck. Selleck lost. I think so. This is like this is like during like peak Magnum PI time. Well, Gutenberg it? was the film star of the three of them. Maybe this was how That's they sold surprising. it to them as like your order of importance is going to be the opposite of the way we're going to bill you. Yeah. So <laughs> your part's not so great, but we'll give you yeah. top billing. And so uh, Gutenberg top billing, then dancing. And according to Steve Gutenberg's autobiography, which is the greatest name of any book ever, the Gutenberg Bible, <laughs> he says Michael J. Fox and Tony Danza were both considered for the role of Jack that was eventually portrayed by Ted Danson. I can't see Michael J. Fox's Ted Danson. I can see Tony Danza, but it would be like if it was. It'd be like like these two men. Well, yeah, you had a man for sure in Selleck. You had a boy child kind. If you have Gutenberg and Michael J. Fox, isn't that kind of you know? It's two squeaky voices in the group, isn't it? Can you imagine? Oh no, I got got a child. Oh no, (laughs) (laughs) I was the shrew. I was great as it. (laughs) Uh, Here's the baby. Oh, this is heavy. 
I don't, but you never, because he was bankable. And so I, I could see that, but I mean, you're not making it for that budget if you're doing, not in 87, he's done, he's done Back to the Future. He's a huge star at that point. And then of course, meet Tom Selleck. And during the two week rehearsal period before filming began, Selleck and Gutenberg were bachelors at the time. And they took Ted Danson, who was married, out on the town with them. And this was filmed in Toronto. So this, they took him out to a few Toronto nightclubs, bars, and restaurants to rekindle the feeling of bachelorhood they had to project in the film. The, the three of them caused a lot of excitement amongst the public when they went out to party. Now, okay, I can kind of get my head around the idea that Danson was married, and you might need to teach him, here's what it means to be single. Unless you'd seen the TV show Cheers, <laughs> where his character is a yeah. womanizer. From season one, episode one onward, he's just this big sports star, not an actor, but a sports star, who just is a womanizer. So what were they teaching? I think they were just like, he was like, yeah, all right, take me out. Only if you guys buy the drinks, though. God, being an actor is so hard. (laughs) He had to act about being an actor. That's what made it meta. Uh, Director Leonard Nimoy, according to Gutenberg, had some arguments and differences on the set with Danson and Selleck. Because Selleck and Danson were both used to being the bosses on their own television show. Because if there's someone bigger than Ted Danson, who was the lead star of Cheers, which was about four or five seasons into its run by that point, it might have been Tom Selleck, whose show Magnum P.I. was... I don't know if there's anybody who's more iconic about 80s television than Tom Selleck in that car in Magnum P.I. So much, I can't think of any of this. So much of it, they tried to remake it. I don't, I've never seen an episode of a new one. But uh, I saw a lot of, and it was kind of like your, your case of the week. And Magnum was a private investigator, and he had this cool car, and he lived in Hawaii. And he would do a lot of, like, inner monologue that we got to hear as he, like, went around this. Like, he had a really hard deal. Here's a really cool car, and you're going to shoot in Hawaii. Okay. But a little-known fact about this is that he was supposed to be the original Indiana Jones. Oh, oh, yes, I knew about that. He I was supposed to be, that. and he'd signed on. And then his production company, whoever it was... Uh, said, no, you can't have him for this. He's already done up to do this, to do the show for us, Magnum P.I. So they went to their second choice, Harrison Ford. <laughs> Harrison, Harrison Ford does a good job of just like kind of getting the role just out of coincidence. Harrison wasn't, suppo- Harrison wasn't supposed to be in Star Wars. Nope. He was just the carpenter. He was, he just, was carpenter. just doing the lines. He just showed up because he'd been on American Graffiti, so he just showed up to help out Lucas, and it just happened that he lucked his way into that, and then he lucked his way into this. So it's great. So I remember I saw a thing once where Harrison Ford was talking to a whole room full of people. They were roasting George Lucas, I believe it was. He told the story. And there was the head of the television company there. And he said, so in way, I guess I'm saying, let's call him Jim. Jim, the reason why I'm so famous is because of you. <laughs> so thank you. <laughs> so back to Tom Selleck, the man who would, would have been Indiana Jones in an alternate timeline. Uh, and the problem was that both of them were so used to calling the shots because they were big, big stars. But Leonard Nimoy had been that guy. He'd been that guy on Star Trek. And so he wasn't <laughs> at the back down. And Gutenberg said, Leonard was a good director. And being an actor, he knew the problems actors face. Although sometimes I think he forgot. So back to the movie. And we had this montage of painting and of womanizing. And you got to think that mural is killing resellability. Oh, yeah. Because you're like... And then we need to get three guys who look exactly like this to find this apartment next. <laughs> or, or you're going, i got to paint it. <laughs> yeah, 
I don't think they're really intending on selling it and also that, painting over something. That might have been part difficult. of a deal. I will buy the apartment from you if you do the follow-up mural with me and my family instead. <laughs> you will, everybody else can leave. I want him until it's done. <laughs> and so we go to the party, and we're introduced to the party through the camera lens of uh, Michael, the artist. As he does Lifestyles of the Average and Anxious. And this is a parody of a show that was on called Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous mm. by Robin Leach, who I believe is English. He's English or he's Australian. I don't know which one. Uh, and that was kind of like Cribs before Cribs. They would go to like a famous person or a really rich person's house and they would like do like a whole hour like showing the house off. But it would be like through this like upper class kind of um, hanger on. Yeah. Robin Leach is from London. He's from London, okay. And so he'd be like, and they've got a, you know, a, a, a garage with, with 14 roses in it. Whereas opposed to now where you watch Cribs, it's like, yo, welcome to my crib. There's my dartboard. I love playing darts. Yo! <laughs> Blimey, he's got four kettles. I've <laughs> got a TV. As opposed to my very bad, like, Fred Durst kind of, you know, throwback to 2000. <laughs> Um, and so we find out it's Peter's birthday, and I gotta say, loving the cake. You guys notice the cake? It was like in the shape of like of like a crane. I don't think I noticed it. Oh, it was like it was like it was like a proper con- construction crane, like, like like the crane they used in Speed. Like yeah. it was like oh. that. It was like lit up with candles and stuff. It was oh, really amazing. cool. Oh, I want to go back and watch. Oh, that. Yeah, because he's an architect. <laughs> yeah. When it was announced that one hundred dress extras would be needed for a party scene taking place in Tom Selleck's on-screen bachelor pad. 5,000 women in the Toronto area <laughs> showed up thinking they would oh, at least get God. to see Selleck in person, even if they didn't get the job. The 4,900 who were not chosen did not get to see Selleck or any other film stars as they were working on another set that day. <laughs> but the 100 extras, this sounds pretty cool. The 100 extras got to party with Selleck for four days. Wow. The party scene took about four days to shoot. To those 4,900 people who might be listening, I'm sorry, but also... (laughs) If you're one of the 100 who at the party was selling, get in touch with the podcast. I want to know what that's like. That sounds like a good way to spend four days. I don't know why it took four days to film that scene. (sighs) Angles, setting stuff up. There's probably like 20 cakes. There's going to be a lot of set pieces in that. Yeah. Yeah. Rebecca Davidson, who is his semi-main squeeze, played by Margaret Collin, is a frequent love interest for Tom Selleck in his uh, his shows and films. She played his non-exclusive girlfriend in this movie, and she also played a love interest of his on Magnum P.I., and then decades later in a show called Blue Bloods, where he would be the lead character in that as well. Oh. Yeah. So just what it is. And the black and white checkered shirt that he wore at the beginning, and he also wears it at the end of this film. It is the exact same shirt that Alec Baldwin wears in Beetlejuice. Oh. <laughs> Just as a... Oh? It's a weird bit of trivia. It's a weird bit of trivia. Yep. <laughs> Two films about the same time. I think Beetlejuice is like 89, but things you wouldn't have expected. <coughs> we need a shirt for, for Keaton. What do we do? Yeah, give him Selleck's old one over there. <laughs> it's black and white. It'll do. And then double standards are double standards because we find out that Selleck's hitting on this girl and she asks about um, Rebecca. And he goes, oh, no, no, we're just kind of, you know, we're kind of semi-exclusive. We're not, we're not proper. No, no, no. We both see other people. And then this guy comes up and says, hey, you still with her? Oh, yep, five years. Oh, so it's not, no, no, mm-hmm. no, no, no. We are, no, you cannot have a shot at her. <laughs> <laughs> Yet the movie's telling us I'm not supposed to judge him for this. I'm supposed to go, ah, oh, he's got the dream, ain't he? That's great. Well, I was judging him for this until later on when 
she's with someone else as well. So yeah. then I didn't feel so bad for her. And ten- the opening montage, I was like, I just don't like any of them. They just oh, I did. They suck. Oh, I did. Um, Ted Danson, Ethan, you ever watched Seinfeld? Yes, I have. Ted Danson's wearing a puffy shirt. Which is a famous Seinfeld episode. It's okay, the puffy shirt. But it's like this shirt with like like pirate like puffs in the in like the top half of it. I'm like, it does not make any sense. And they look around and they say, so many women, so little time in their big sort of like apartment like catchphrase. Oh, ho, 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 and it's ho, ho. like how I met your mother, but they're all Barney Stinson. <laughs> That's terrifying. So like varying degrees. And they all get their lives changed by a daughter coming into their life. So they're all. And they bo- have the crazy apartment. The crazy apartment. They have sort of outlandish, like get them alone and see what works kind of tricks. Mm. Yeah, they have kind of not obscure like jobs, but just jobs where you're like, you should know more about this because you know <laughs> you can't make that much currently from that in this city. I think this is our third tangent of the interview. Oh my goodness! <laughs> I think Tom Selleck is the version of the architect that Barney Stinson wishes that like Josh Radner's Ted Mosby could be. <laughs> architect oh, yeah. like the Tom Selleck version have the cake the whole nine yards I think uh, that Michael's bit next when he's um, kind of telling the other woman she should go back to her, uh, her ex-boyfriend that sounds like something out of the Barney Simpson playbook Stephen really doesn't it Gutenberg has got this girl alone and he's doing this like puppet show and I'm like this is lame Johnny until Cool you, Johnny Cool until you find out he wrote, he draws Johnny Cool and I'm like okay Okay, that's really cool. <laughs> that's all right then, because now you're just showing off how successful you are. Yep. And this girl cries, and she wants, and she's just broken up with her boyfriend, and he goes, "You know what gets you over a broken heart?" And he's trying to be smooth and suave, <laughs> and he's like, "Dance with a stranger." I have an issue with this film because it's trying to convince me that even in some limited way, that this guy is a ladies' man. He he is not. No. And then eventually the girl cries and says, "Can I invite him to the party?" And he goes, yeah, all right. Meanwhile, uh, Peter is in his videotape room watching slow motion of old sports tapes. Now, this is a big deal. Like, this was not readily available. I remember when I watched this years in the future as a kid going, that's cool. (laughs) This is YouTube before YouTube. (laughs) He's curated, like, an assortment of the greatest sports tapes ever. And I love the chemistry between Tom Selleck's Peter and Margaret Collins, Rebecca. I think they're just so good. It, it it's a it's a nice sort of back and forth. It a is. Lot she is. A, she is an equal. Yeah. She is. She is. Yeah. She is his counterpoint. Absolutely, she is. A bad, 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 bad boy. It made me feel so good. You know, <laughs> I can get that. Uh, and then a favor is needed. The director, whose name I think was, oh, I forget. I have it down here later. This commercial director is going to be in San Francisco, but needs a package delivered. Tomorrow, but we picked up Thursday. It's delicate, though, so don't tell anybody. And I lost track here because I just started writing down Tom Selleck is a ridiculously attractive man. Is it the mustache or is it the dimples? I wish I could have his mustache. I find the mustache really really unattractive, so I can't answer that question. You did not, hang on, you did not find Tom Selleck attractive in this? No, I've never found him attractive. I think it's, but I think it's because of the mustache. Tom Selleck is He's just all man in this. He is, he's a very handsome man. I, I do go into a bit of a, which is weird. It's not, it's not like me to do this, but there's a little bit of a man crush, I think, with, <laughs> with, with Tom Selleck on this one. I, I think so. Yeah, don't, don't Out of it, all sorry. of them, I don't know what it is. Uh, Ted Danson, he's got like, almost like a cartoonishly big forehead in this film. He does. 
<laughs> and he's got great, he's gotten better with that. And he's got wild eyes. Yeah, wild and eyes. Hair too. There's the there. hair just yeah. has like volume. Well, he looks way better. There's, in there's, cheers, there's, some, there's something to that, and I'm going to tell you about that later on, Ethan. Um, and so then we get to the after party, and there's a cool joke about post party depression. And this is the conversation where we're going to get our exposition that Ted Dance is going to be away for the next few days on this shoot in 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 is it Turkey? Yeah, it's Turkey. Yeah. And um, he's almost says, I'm going to leave. I'm going to tell that girl to go home and we're going to stay up all night with a bottle of wine and try and see it straight through the morning. And I'm like, good on you. It's all right. If this is just, if this is just like a one night stand, I don't know if it's that much disrespectful about it until Gutenberg goes, I'll tell you what, why don't you stay here? And then I'll go in there. <laughs> and I'm like, that's no. if we if we go with the notion this is just guys having a conversation and he's not serious. I don't th- I don't believe he is serious, but it's still a problematic joke. I think. Yeah. Um. And so I'm going now. They had to remind you how to be single for this film. I'm told, Mister Mister Danson. <laughs> uh, the morning after, and Tom Selleck all man that he is, is rowing on this rowing machine, just dripping in sweat. And I started thinking to myself at this point, how much working out have I seen Tom Selleck do over the years? Because he loved a scene in Magnum P.I. where he was running or jogging or on a bike. I just think he's like, I'm going to get my workout in. We're going to do it with the cameras are rolling. Yeah. Because <laughs> he's just on this rowing machine. I kind of went, what do you want me to do with this? He's like, I have an idea. I'll be rowing. Yeah, and when he when he's doing the scene afterwards, he's got so much sweat so on his chest. I'm thinking he must have been like actually rowing for a oh, really yeah. decent time to get to that he's level. Like, he's <laughs> like, drenched. Yeah. They're like, no matter what, we take one complete take. If it takes us twenty takes, it takes us twenty takes, and he, like, he just continuously messes up the lines just so he can get his good workout in for the day. Because <laughs> <laughs> I got news for you, he's carrying this movie. Um, and so we find that there's the message from uh, Jack, Ted Danson's character, from the airport about the package that's going to be here. The girl who uh, Jack slept with lets herself out in this atrocious 80s outfit. Um, and then we cut to Jack, not Jack, to Peter, and he's running through the streets of New York, getting the mail, doing, getting the paper. He's just all about the working out. And this is where we meet the baby. Um, and he goes in, he goes in the house, he comes back out, he looks down. That was a nice piece of camera work to hide the baby. I'll give you that. Mm-hmm. Look in the hall, what's going on? And it's, uh, oh yeah. So he tells, uh, Michael, come out, look in the hall. And I don't know what Gutenberg was going for here, but he was just playing it like it was like some sort of like crazy joke the whole time. Like, yeah, what do you mean? Look in the hall. And Peter's just being, just look in the hall. And he's going, I don't know. Like. It's not the weirdest request. Can you come look in the hall? And Gutenberg just went with, it's like he overacted everything in this film. Yeah. He's even like, it's a baby. <laughs> yeah, of course it's a baby. Yes. And then, dear Jack, here is our baby. And we get the note, and it's from Sylvia. And it's a great bit. Where like, you pick it up. No, you pick it up. It's not going to be me. It's not going to be me. And then we do a smash cut to them both, like, running through the living room, each with half of the baby. And uh, talking about the baby, director Leonard Nimoy looked at videotaped footage of about 200 sets of twin girls for the part of Mary before deciding on Lisa and Michelle Blair for the part. Uh, there was not on the force of the twins before this decision was made. 
Fun little fact, towards the end of filming, the babies that played Mary were less entranced by the actors around her and instead became enticed by the microphone. (laughs) And she would start to follow the microphone, both of them, with her gaze and not look at the actors. So Leonard Nimoy and the other crew members had to start thinking about where they could hide the microphone (laughs) so the baby couldn't realize it was there. Oh, that's so cute. I love it. And so the deal is made that Gutenberg's character, Michael, is going to look after the baby while Selleck's character, Peter, is going to go buy some baby food. And Gutenberg very quickly, or Michael, I should say, very quickly, decides he needs to try and entertain the baby. And he's got like two ideas before he goes with, look at my hairy chest. (laughs) Now, this is the guy who created Johnny Cool and has a puppet. But his like, before he gets to there, he's like, hairy chest. Do you want one of these? And I don't understand how, as the creator of Johnny Cool, he can be so absolutely hopeless at the idea of how to entertain a child you're assuming johnny cool is a, is a cartoon for children but we did see the scene where he's using the puppet and giving like a full-on puppet show for that woman earlier right, like but, he, he knows how to do a tiger voice see, and i thought johnny cool was a pair chester cheetah or, or or joe cool from the camel things like kind of these like yeah. slightly more teenager like adult book. things yeah I was thinking more like just like the Cheetos kind of mascot kind of thing, just like an advert. Yeah, I, I get the impression it was a, it was a, uh, it was a comic strip, but it could be an advert. I don't know. Yeah, and so meanwhile now, um, Peter is at the grocery store and he gets told third aisle to the right, you find your baby food, and he goes to the third aisle and it's like baby food <laughs> everywhere. And I got anxious just looking at this because I don't like it when I can't find the thing I want to find or if I, or if I have too many choices. So I have to buy some new glasses in the near, next couple of weeks, and I'm like putting it off because I hate having to go there and look, look through the frames and try and decide what exactly – how do I narrow it down from 300 options to one? I'd rather they went, here's your three pairs of glasses. Choose one. <laughs> I'd have done well in like, you know, like Eastern Bloc, Iron Curtain, <laughs> Soviet regime where they went, comrade, here are your three pairs of glasses. Choose one. And I'd have been My like, favorite. okay, I choose B. My favorite is like, oh yeah, I like these glasses. Like your eyes are so messed up. You need thick. You need thick lenses, so you can't have that one. I'm like, oh, uh, fine. <laughs> uh, I just have a really big head, so like I gotta make sure that my, like, my glasses don't make my head look bigger than it already is. I can't have like the small, delicate frames for the most part. I've got to have like some frames with some like chunk to it to give me I a got, sense like, of. I got- Harry Potter glasses. I don't quite have that, but I'm, I'm close. This is, this is the thickest I've ever had my glasses, which is great for anybody who's listening and can't see us, which is everybody. <laughs> so, uh, and I don't know if you noticed in this baby food aisle, but there were pampers everywhere oh, in yeah. this aisle, and there were pampers everywhere in this movie, and they even referred to them as, not as diapers once, but as pampers. That's because pampers paid $50,000 for their brand of diapers to be used in the film. I love corporate synergy. <laughs> This one makes sense because Pamper is the market oh, yeah. leader. I, I was okay yeah. with this one. Um, you know, got to pay that million back for the right somehow in case this movie tanks. Uh, Johnny Cool can't help. And I loved the scene here with Edna, the store helper. I loved it as well. She is she's great. She's, just, she's just the perfect balance of like really helpful, but also really sassy. There's a little bit of sarcasm coming in there where it's yeah. like, you do know how old your baby is. And I'm like, Shoot, you better get this one. Yeah. You better get this one. I really wish I could have seen her reaction to finding out that it just was dumped on the doorstep. It's not even his. I would have yeah. loved that. <laughs> if he just went, look, lady, I don't know. It was dumped on my doorstep this morning, okay? She's, I don't that, know how old she is. That montage at the end where it's all three guys pushing the baby. I, I just wanted to see that. Yeah. Like, no cons to be like, oh, okay. Um, and so he finally... um 
decides to buy everything, it seems like, and he leaves. Although he does ask, what's a toddler? And I'm like, come on, man. Mm-hmm. There is no way you don't know what the word toddler means. You are not that isolated from traditional platonic families. I just refuse to believe that... Platonic family? That's not what I'm talking Nuclear families. Yeah. I just refuse to believe that grown men could be so entirely incompetent as as this You'd film makes them out to be. No, I, I, I really would be surprised. Like... A lot of this film is just, at least the first act is just, look at the man do the dumb thing. Look at him. He don't understand the basic fatherly thing. Well, yeah, like, I, act yeah. one is like, look at them for the most part living their dream Peter Pan lifestyle. Act two is them struggling. That's all act two is. Yeah. It's just watch them suffer. And I completely get the comedy in that. And there are lots of moments that, which kind of do hold up, but... The way that they do it is just so overdone. And I'm like, really? Come on now. So, I think I wrote down in my notes, I'm like, this this consistent like running joke is going to get old very quickly, mm-hmm. isn't it? So Michael uh, finally decides he's going to pick up um, baby Mary and go for a walk. And he's like talking the whole way through and like going, oh, you don't like this? I'm like, this is me with a baby. Like, I'm just <laughs> totally like, if it doesn't work in a few seconds, I just like nervously talk to it and like just kind of have like an outer monologue. And it doesn't work. Um Except for he like he like puts on the TV and like lays down like he's been working hard for like hours and then like as far as I know it's been like forty five minutes. I guess he might be maybe he's hung over from the night before. I don't know, but he seemed really kind of goofy. He was like, "It's a baby." <laughs> <laughs> um, and then um, everybody comes back and they sort of readdress. And then um, oh no, sorry, before that we introduced to a lovely little part. I thought Mrs. Hathaway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, who's good with babies and it stops crying the minute she touches it and we find out she can't have babies because her husband has a low sperm count. <laughs> I appreciated her openness. To which point Gutenberg's going, oh, it sounds like a lucky guy to me. I'm like, okay, there's some very real pain being given here. Like she's being brave in the spite of this and her husband's low sperm count has forced her to look at her life in a way that was different from what it meant. And he's going, oh, it sounds lucky to me. Yeah. And I'm like, twist the knife. I, I know it's a comedy, and I know you're supposed to be showing how inept you are at this, but I thought Mrs. Hathaway was great. But we find out, and this, during this time, uh, it's Mrs. Hathaway who delivers a package. And I thought this was kind of clever, because I could kind of buy into the fact that this giant, you know, um, nuclear explosion that is the baby, mm-hmm. some random nondescript blue package could just be thrown to the side as you deal with the big problem. Well, I completely forgot about the random nondescript blue package. Oh, so, did you really? Yep. Same. Really? I, I forgot I forgot its existence. It was only when like Tom Sex like, "Oh, are you serious?" I'm like, I was like, "Oh." Wait, even when the even when the Okay, we'll, we'll come to that cuz I'm I'm going to ask you a question about that then. Yeah. But Miss Hathaway says, "You know she's done a doodle." And doodle became our word for poop in this movie. <laughs> uh, and that begins a cleaning and caring montage with Tom Selleck who's now joined back and the score is great and the baby is so cute. <laughs> yeah. And then we get to the actual diaper change. So they've done the washing. And now they're going to try and diaper this kid. And that diaper looks like it's three times too big for the baby it's on. Am I wrong? What, the, the, the yeah. one that was on to start with? No, the one that falls off at the end of the sequence coming up. Well, yeah. They, okay. buy, they buy diapers that are too big. Oh, okay. And there's this great line. How can something so small create so much of something so disgusting? <laughs> and they try and they go clean up where the poop is. And so Michael tries like throwing a hundred cotton swabs at it. Cotton balls? Cotton balls. Cotton ball balls, yeah. And then wants to get some aftershave. 
And then it all ends, of course, in them picking the kid up, thinking the diaper's finally on. As soon as they pick it up, the diaper falls off and the baby pees. Shocking. In a, 27, in a 2017 appearance on The Tonight Show, Tom Selleck admitted that when they were doing the shoot for the movie poster, they were holding the baby. It was the three of them, and it's Selleck who holds the baby. And there is a urine stain suggested to be on his shirt. That actually happened. They were just shooting the shot with the baby and the three of them. The baby <laughs> wet um, itself, I guess, on Tom Selleck and the photographer, who's Annie Leibovitz, who's a big deal, oh! who she also did the shots of the Breakfast Club in, yeah. in their poster. She just kept taking pictures, and that's where we got. It's it's a really nice photograph, actually. That's a very mm-hmm. Leibovitz thing to do. Yeah, and she just she just ran with it. Like this is this is something that that would happen if anything. It, it makes it funnier. It makes it more. Organic. That's another layer of the photograph didn't have already. And um, they want to know, well, should we tell people about the baby? And we get told the rules again. It's a delicate situation. Don't tell anyone. And Peter puts some formula in his coffee. And there's a cute moment. In the middle of the night, the baby's finally gotten to sleep. And there's a siren that goes off as an ambulance or a police <laughs> officer goes on down the road. And um, Selleck and Gutenberg, Peter and Michael, get up and they close the windows and they sort of like hold their bodies big, I guess, to distract from any like flashing lights, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Although there wasn't any yeah. sign of a flashing light, so I don't know. I can't say for sure, but that would be Maybe my Maybe they were soundproofing. <laughs> Maybe. And the baby gets up and like rolls over and looks up and then goes back to sleep, which was a nice moment. And then we have a lovely little scene, including one of my favorite little bit parts in the movie, Rebecca and Jan. (laughs) And Peter has called Rebecca here because, to put it bluntly, she is a woman and therefore will know about babies. (laughs) And so (laughs) she says, what's the emergency? He goes, this is the emergency. She goes, it's a baby. And it became a great running joke. Yes, of course it's a baby. Why does everybody keep saying it's a baby? Of course it's a baby. And yet Jan's only line, for the most part, felt like, Rebecca, we be late. Yeah. <laughs> Rebecca, we be late. And then she goes, by the way, you know what's done a doodle? And um Jan goes, huh? Doodle. <laughs> and Peter goes, Yes, doodle. What's the matter? Don't they doodle in Hungary? <laughs> and I hate the cello. <laughs> and Rebecca refuses, and this is where we find out that of course, yes, they have an open relationship. Yes, it goes both what's good for the goose is good for the gander. They 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 will both have other relationships. And we see a little tinge of jealousy, more of it a little, I think. But really the big thing is he wants her to sort of fit into her pre, you know, described female role. You're a woman, therefore yeah. you need. And there was a thing where each man kind of one at a time tries to get a woman to do the role, to, to do this, to, to take over. And I really like the fact that she is just like, no, why? Yeah. What makes you think that just because I'm a woman, I know how to handle a baby. Like you can handle it just as well as I can. And I think that's important. And so uh, another dated reference, Steve Gutenberg says after they get back to everyone's back in the apartment, um, I keep waiting for Candid Camera to come through the door. <laughs> Candid Camera was like the spiritual father of punked. If you remember punked from the early 2000s. Yeah. Just except we have a joke and you go, ha ha, it was all a joke. None of it was really real. Ha. Um, and there's a fight between Peter and Michael. There's arguing. And then Michael slams down some talcum powder and it goes all over the pool table. And I love Tom Selleck being angry through a whispered voice. He used to do it on Friends and he didn't hear it. He went, you're going to clean that up. (laughs) (laughs) And Selleck, I've got my notes here, is both ruggedly handsome and he can be like dashingly, distinguishedly handsome. 
He put on some glasses and a tie, and I'm like, you are just made for any occasion. He can clean up good, and he can grime up good. Oh, <laughs> what do you need him to be? He, 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 oh, this is this is the sweet spot of Tom Selleck. He can just there's nothing bigger than Tom Selleck from like eighty five to eighty eight. Um, and then the next day we have the two guys show up, and I don't know about you, these guys are bloody terrible. Oh yeah, they are so bad. Yeah. Who did the who did who did Nimoy owe owe money to? Because these two are dreadful. Uh, and I can't find out if the guy who's the main bad guy, if he's a main bad I mean, they're both like lackeys. They're not, you know, they, yeah. you know the idea, they're not, they're not the boss. And so. Um, the fact that they actually go away with the baby. Well, they show up. And this is where we play the game of pronouns because we don't actually ever say what we're talking about. So they say, we considered calling the cops. We haven't been able to work or sleep. And there's been shit all over the apartment. <laughs> <laughs> and they try to put it in how would you put it back in and then i'll get you the powdered milk oh yeah powdered milk At which point gutenberg goes yeah powdered milk because it's like what's what's the attitude and i'm gonna 20 percent go too much and not even try subtlety <laughs> and then the whole time Selleck's going this doesn't feel right it doesn't feel right and so he just happens to be sitting down and just happens to run his hand down the side of his cushion and finds the package, which you two forgot. So here is my question. When the bad guys sh- – I'm going to try it again because I hit the soundboard. Here is my question. When you guys see the bad guys show up and they're like, yeah, the package. All right, the package. You're actually thinking they're talking about the baby? Or maybe something that's been like stashed in the crib or something, but I, I, I don't know. I just assumed it was like – something that ted danson owed money to and the only reason i really knew that is because last episode you're like cocaine and i was like no way oh okay actually cocaine yeah i got i I got my drug wrong yeah (laughs) it was the 80s i thought cocaine was 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 a good bet i I, it was the 90s i might have said heroin but i was it was before its time (laughs) um and so peter finds the package runs downstairs because the lift isn't working or it's too slow and he trips a couple small packets of drugs fall out and no one else seems to to to, to mind but there's nah. drugs the bad guys go to put the baby in the back seat now this is where we all get our first shot of detective Leibowitz, who's across the street watching now if it's not for horse cop who comes up and stops them from putting the baby in the trunk is Leibowitz willing to let them like drive with a baby in the trunk yes i really hope not i hope he called the cop in over like a radio or something like that but he didn't seem to be too bothered for a guy who loves babies after this. Um, and so uh, the horse police comes in, saves the day, and he tells Peter for he has any ID. He says, I don't have any ID. He says, spread them. Now, I never realized how dangerous this is. I only thought about it this time, that if he spreads them and he gets patted down, they're going to find the drugs. Yeah. I never realized this. I just thought he was going, I can't do it because I have a baby and I want to get upstairs and show you my ID and this gets me upstairs. I forgot about the fact that, yeah, you're carrying like I don't know how. I don't, did they ever mention was it like a quarter million dollars worth of heroin? Something like that. Yeah. That numbers in my head for some reason. And so um, Peter and Spurney is the baby. They go upstairs. He proves he's got his ID. And as the as the horse cop goes, Detective Sergeant Melkowitz comes in, asks himself in, asks if he can look at the baby, and she's sleeping. <laughs> you know, she's no, sleeping. she's and not. Then, and then we hear his happy like. <laughs> <laughs> now, in the meantime, he, uh, Peter has given the drugs to Michael, who has like 
like jimmied open her diaper and like stuffed yeah. the diaper full. Like of all the places you could have hidden them in that apartment, it just seems strange. I thought that was really clever. So put it in like the garden underneath the plot, the plant pots or something. Put it in the like, jukebox. What yeah. are the odds is going to want to hear a, hear a song in that moment? Okay, but like if he just tore the apartment apart and was really looking into like deeply for those drugs, yeah. what's the one place he wouldn't check? Don't know. So he says to her, you're, now I never picked this up before. You're a heavy little girl, aren't you? And of course he is because the drugs are in the diaper and it feels like she's done. Yeah. So he's touching the drugs. Uh, we find out that Paul Milner is a heroin smuggler, which is the commercial f- directing friend of Jack's. Uh, and right in the middle of this, Jack phones. And they've got this great, like, old school, like, speaking to, like, the, there's the earpiece. And then you speak into, like, yeah. the mic. Oh, I want one. Of, I want that phone. <coughs> you wouldn't be able to do it. It wouldn't be any good now because no one uses landlines. But if that was a t- <laughs> like, you're not going to carry that in your pocket, are you? Um, um, like, Alexa's like, you have one call from Jack. <laughs> hey, guys. It's yes. me. <laughs> Just goes through the whole house. Uh, and they have to get them to be quiet because they don't know how into it Jack is. They don't know if Jack's actually a drug dealer or not. And so uh, Melkowitz asked for a drink of water just to buy him some more time to look around the apartment. And he goes, I have to give him a drink of water so his mouth doesn't go dry while he reads me my rights. I love that line. Uh, and then um, they get rid of Melkowitz. They open the door. They tell him to get out, basically. And as soon as he leaves, in case the audience needs it, it's time for a recap. So they give us a recap. No one's coming for the kid. Milner's phone is disconnected. And they both have to go to work in some capacity, and we need someone to save the day. And wouldn't you know it, it's a Mrs. Hathaway ex machina. How convenient. <laughs> Who actually is she? Like, where does she come from? She just lives in the building. And just happened to knock on the door. She like, knocks on the door visit. because she wants to know if they know anything about the horse poop in front of the building. Oh, yeah. So then we find out they're both being tailed. Both guys, they go to work, have, have tails from the detective's office. But... Also, we see that the drug dealers are across the street drinking a coffee. Now, here's my question. If these cops are so good, yeah, you're tailing the guys who, like, live in the in the house. But knowing what we know happens next, why is no one watching the front door? How did these drug dealers who we saw just 30 minutes ago sitting in front of the house with a cup of coffee? Movie. Yeah, stupid. <laughs> uh, and so they come home. Uh, b- not before Peter has bought a giraffe, which I'm sorry, it is a giraffe. It is not a dinosaur. That was a giraffe. 100% giraffe. Oh, that's a giraffe. Yeah. Uh, Mrs. Hathaway has been tied up. We want to know where Mary is. And at this point, you have to go. This film is putting me 95% of the time with Tom Selleck. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, even when Gutenberg shows up, we don't, get to, we don't switch to him until he comes into the room where Selleck is and we see them together. Where's Mary... And if these cops were any good, how'd they miss those two in there for as long as they were? And uh, they finally find Mary with a note that says, next time we take the baby. They've destroyed his videotapes. They've destroyed other parts of the apartment, which is, I guess, cleaned up really well because they play pool later. <laughs> so it couldn't be that bad. Uh, and just when you think, and it's kind of tense, next time we take the baby. And it's one of the few times you're like, whoa. And then, boom, we hear, Mr. Killam, Mr. Mitchell. Because Mrs. Hathaway is still tied up. And that's the last we'll see of Mrs. Hathaway in this film. Oh. Yep. Ethan, you did watch the movie, right? You seem surprised when I said that. I forgot. I genuinely... <laughs> for some reason, my brain didn't think Mrs. Hathaway was in that scene. And I just forgot that she was in the rest of it. So, 
we cut to a great scene and they're kind of detoxing or coming down off the excitement of the day. And uh, Peter is reading a boxing synopsis to Mary. And uh, they go to sleep and a dark intruder lets themselves in. We're supposed to think it's the robber at first. Did anyone for a second think it was the robber? See, I knew what Not it was. Not without hair. Not without hair. hair. <laughs> and so uh, I did wonder how much Domino's paid for their product placement in this film because there was Domino's pizza boxes over this apartment a few times. <laughs> Uh, but he trips over and he gets tackled. And as he's being tackled, you just hear him go, watch out for my face. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't hear that. That's funny. Great. That sounds like a Ted Danson ad lib. It does. It does. Mm-hmm. And so as we find out that it's Jack, he's back from Turkey because his part's been cut. And Gutenberg's just being a real ass about everything. Good. <laughs> and so it's like, chill out. <laughs> Understandably, to be fair. Um, and so uh, they recap the movie, basically. I really like how Ted Danson goes, will somebody please tell me what's going on here? And then you just hear the baby cry in the background. Yeah, it's a nice moment. And so we find out that he met Sylvia in Stratford doing Tammy to the Shrew. She was the Shrew. He goes, I had some great work on that. He said, I got great reviews. <laughs> that was a moment where I went, I can kind of relate to Ted Danson here. Because <laughs> if you're thinking about you know, your own personal history and things, you're going, oh, that was good. I, I, people really liked what I did. And we've all been leads in shows at various yeah. community theater things. And it's good when you get a good review for what you've done. Yeah. It's nice. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so we then get Jack struggling. And because we've been through the journey with Peter and Michael, it's interesting that for the most part, the film keeps us in the room with Peter and Michael at the pool table and lets Jack struggle. <laughs> and I wonder if that's because we get more comedy from watching him. Because otherwise we're seeing it again, aren't we? Yeah, for a we've second already time. seen all of the uh, sketches the, you the, could There's do, no really. humor in that. The humor is in, in watching the other two kind of react. Being smug. <laughs> nonchalant as they play pool. And to his credit, even Selleck's going, should we help him? And it's Gutenberg who goes, give him half an hour more, let him suffer. Mm-hmm. And I'm like... <laughs> I do not I do not understand Gutenberg. Just don't. I understand his frustration, but it's also like at the same time you're making this poor baby suffer through a horrible, dirty nappy and being hungry or whatever's wrong with her just to spite your friend. And so Michael tried to get Mrs. Hathaway to help. And Peter tries to get Rebecca to help. Now it's time for Jack to call his mother. I love Jack's mum. <laughs> and just over and on the film, there's a scene that shows Jack and his mum, played by Celeste Holm, and he's coming through. He's like, you need to take care of the baby for me. And she rejects him and says, this is your job. You've always been kind of selfish. And you don't have to worry about anybody but yourself. And that time is now over. Now you're a father. And he's I do a... like that line where he's like, where she's like, well, how long do you want to? I don't know. When it's old enough to vote, sure. Mm-hmm. It was like, like it was like sometime before, just for around, a little while. I think I think, I think it was vote, like yeah. I think it was like around the time she goes off to college or something like that before that. Oh, was a vote? Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, and so as the scene is taking place, there is an urban legend that you now is a bit more prominent back before the days of home media ownership and definitely before the days of of, of digital. Yeah. But there is an urban legend that you could see a ghost in this scene. What? That when they go into Jack's room, there is nothing in this one window. And it's a continuous shot. And then when they come out of that room, you see... It might not be a continuous shot, actually, come to think of it. When they come out of the room, you see the ghost of a boy in the window on the left side of the screen. 
Spooky. And the, the legend goes that this is an abandoned house they were filming in, and it's the ghost of a boy who killed himself or something like that in the house and is now haunting them for occupying the house. Now, this is BS because it was shot in Toronto on, a, on like a soundstage. <laughs> <laughs> it's, actually, it's actually a cardboard cutout of Ted Danson. I thought this because you you said at the point that that happened in the film, and then later on in the film, I noticed a cardboard cutout of yeah. Ted Danson just so hanging around in his but room. But I will say this much because I was watching for it, and I kept thought I thought I missed it the first time because <laughs> the first time it was supposed to look like a gun's pointed downward, and that's all you can see. But then it pops up out of nowhere, and I did jump because I was like, "What the hell is that?" Even though I knew what I was looking for. But I think if I didn't know what I was looking for, your eyes would never leave the two subjects. Yeah, and yeah this is I didn't even so- notice that. Yeah, so it's the a bit of an urban legend. The, cu- the cardboard cutout was like a bit later on. I'm like, ah, oh, cool. That's so narcissistic. Makes sense. <laughs> so it was supposed to be in a different, that cardboard cutout was used for a different scene that got cut about a dog food commercial. Um, but it does show up at the end of the film, as we said. Uh, Jack's mom refuses to help him, and she, he goes, "I'm a screw up," and she goes, "Your father was a screw up," and he turned out just fine. <laughs> so, and then they go to the opera, and of the list of things that I hate about Michael, also known as uh, Steve Gutenberg's part, I hate his white suit. <laughs> it's awful. It's so ugly. Like Tom Selleck wasn't looking that good in his like little bow tie getup, but compared to Gutenberg, he was a Gutenberg runway was model. A pimp. Yeah. Um, and then Sam Malone. Mr. Ted Danson gets in an early um, audition to play Lumiere in Beauty and the Beast <laughs> because he's doing his like French like, uh-huh, and what do we have today? We have a, uh, the, uh, the juice of a cow. Uh, <laughs> we have a, a rubber nipple on it. All right? Oh, excellent choice. And I'm like, it's about as good as Ewan McGregor's one in the new one, for sure. It's better oh, it's than, cute. It's better it than Ewan McGregor's. Cute. Hugh McGregor's in the new one was all right. Oh, it was, it, he, he straightened a Mexican a bunch of times. That's the only positive review I'm giving the reboot of <laughs> that- Beauty and the Beast. I am going to save my opinions for that until we review it on the podcast. All right. We almost got into a fight. I think it counts as a fourth. A fourth diatribe today. All right. <laughs> so as they're out, they want to phone the check-in because they're convinced that Jack will screw up. Now, Jack's just off. Eventually, he just decides he's going to have a shower with the baby because they've done everything else. And he's singing to her. And, and he's really singing. Cute. He's singing. Um, oh, What was he singing? I got sunshine on a cloudy day. I think it was that, wasn't it? When it's I cold outside. I got, yeah, what makes you feel this way? My girl, my girl, my girl. Yeah, it was that. Yeah. Uh, and so we're singing that. And they, Michael and um, Peter rush home to find out he's fine. And so in order to prevent this from happening again, they install a phone in the shower. Literally. Which is, <laughs> like, to be fair, it's kind of like Peter's move for everything in this film is just throw money at it. I'm half convinced he's Batman. Why did they install the phone in the actual shower? Well, that's, that, would it that, not be more sensible to just put it in the bathroom somewhere? Well, that's the joke, right? Is that this the one place that's right there and you can't miss the call this way? Because he, yeah. he probably would have heard the phone anywhere else in the house if it wasn't for the fact that he was in the shower. Um, and then we begin Act 3. They're finally over. They're all on the same page. And we begin Act 3. And Selleck, what's his name? Something Selleck? Tom Selleck? Tom Selleck. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tom Selleck. <laughs> Has this weird sunglasses, bow tie, checkered shirt with the top button done up. It was the only time where I went, come on, Tom. I've been sort of writing positive notes about you the whole film. What is this? <laughs> I mean, I'd wear that kind, that kind of clothing. Would but you I wear? think that's just more about me. Maybe. Uh, like, this would be like ironic hipster 
like 20 years before, 30 years before ironic, no, 25 years before ironic hipsters were a thing. Oh, I um, feel so called out. And this is where we find out <laughs> <laughs> that the director was mugged. And I'm wondering, and they put the, obviously the bad guys have put this newspaper clipping in the mailbox to send a message. Do you think it was trying to save some sort of a rating because he was mugged and not killed? Because isn't the message here, we'll beat you up. Yeah. Uh, If you beat me up, I will get better. Right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, just a thought. And this is where they do their tough guy phone call and Selleck's running point on this. And he goes, we got to end this now because if you don't, we're doing it our way. Why? Because if you don't do it our way and he stops and the guy's like, 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 go ahead and say it. He goes, we flush it down the toilet. And then it cuts to a little girl going, huh? <laughs> Again, like if you're still in doubt of the what the it is <laughs> and having like a double meaning, it could be like we're flushing her down the toilet. So I thought that was the joke they were going for there. Uh, and then we start the night. This is the plan. And Ted Danson is in drag. And I just watched Robin, uh, Robin Williams and Mrs. Doubtfire earlier in the day. So I was sitting there going, I've seen a lot of men in bodysuits trying to pass for women. I was like, Danson's all right. He's doing okay. But what did it mean that as soon as he got out of eyesight of the cops, he couldn't get those fake nails off soon enough? <laughs> he gets the baby out from underneath the dress, and then it's the fake nails. He's walking the street, and he's mm-hmm. pulling the fake nails off because they've got – because, yeah, t- take the fake nails off, and you, look, you totally look fine. But, but to be fair, if you're not used to wearing fake nails, it's ridiculously difficult to do anything with them, even if they're not that long. Well, I'll tell you, it wasn't difficult for him to do. Somehow he obtains a taxi. Mm. Like he's driving the taxi. Yeah. Strange. We kind of yada yada over any connection he has to get a taxi or. I don't think we even yada yada. I think it, it, it just. He just shows up appears. driving a taxi. Yeah. Like it was like this is kind of an important thing that we should probably know about because the plan is they know they're being tailed because Tom Selleck had noticed in an earlier scene. And so when the cops follow them in a car in the one taxi. Taxi one. They arrange like a stop at this thoroughfare. They hop across the median by, by foot and get into, t- into Ted Danson's taxi and drive off. At which point the undercover cops completely blow their cover and like get their guns out and like are like shouting, but they're gone. And uh, everybody goes to the construction site. And we don't know what his job is, but we know that Jack's job is to do something in the, in the later part of the game. Um, but then first he's going to leave the baby in the front seat of the car. This made me so cross. By itself? They've just had a threat that this baby is going to be taken if they don't do what these yeah. people want them to do. And then he leaves her on her own in the front of a freaking taxi. And then he takes it out of the, and he goes, oh, you've, and he goes, there's a bad time for this and changes the diaper. And I know it's a movie. I know it's a movie. I'm going, you can wait five minutes, kid. If timing's really of the essence, we don't have to like, we don't have to make this a race against time. You can wait. It's not hours. Yeah. The only thing if would be if it stopped like her crying and she was making a noise and that was distracting uh, maybe, something. Maybe. But it wasn't really explained, was it? Ethan? If there's if there's Dookie in my diaper, I'm not really going to care if it's like now or five minutes later. Yeah, I guess the argument would be if this is what's triggering the crying and the bad guys might hear the crying and think something's up. Yeah. Although sure. I think the bad guys would think the three of them were coming along anyway, unless they arranged, because we didn't get to hear a whole lot of the conversation. So was the arrangement oh, it was yeah. only going to be Peter? They could well, smell it. <laughs> what, like up, 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 fifty floors? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, they, that probably, they they can't have known that Michael was going because they were then surprised when he was inside whatever that was he was hiding inside. 
And then we go to the face-off. And this is a good time to mention this. So Michael is in a vent of some sort, and he is videoing with a microphone. And I'm sorry, as someone who does a fair bit of videography, I don't know how the sound's going to be on a 1987 camcorder. It's going to be just... I'd, I'd replicate it, but I feel bad for any of the listeners yeah. and you editing. Yes, thank you. <laughs> just, just imagine very muffled, tinny noises. But we get the idea that, you know... They didn't like. They, they want to get on tape. They didn't know anything about this, and the bad guys give them that. And they said, "Look, we're amateurs. You are amateurs." He said, "Amateurs are a pain in the ass to work with." And Selleck goes, "Well, so are professionals." And Tom Selleck is even charming here. I'm sorry, he is. Yeah. And then because the movie needs an exciting incident, Michael just like falls over in the vent. Nothing causes it. Like, Heath, I, I always do this. Like, how easy could have been to fix this? Put a rat in the vent. <laughs> yeah, he makes like a cough or something at best, and like, well, what's in the vent? And then he just like every body part of him just yeah. goes. Now nah, we're gonna like just stop functioning and just fall over. And and goes, like, Can I come to his defense? Oh. I thought he had dropped something and then tried to no, catch says, it without making. He says noise. later, I lost my balance. Oh, and he was trying to catch something and then lost his balance. You could have lost it. your balance. By losing your balance, but he loses balance and goes, "Whoa!" <laughs> yeah, I have no defense for that. <laughs> and so the jig is up. I got all Michael had to do was stay upright. That's a weak equal step to finish a movie off. And then we have the dueling elevators because Tom Selleck is the man in the situation because he's just a man anyway. And he hits this like rip cord, and all of a sudden, all these yellow like I don't know building site bars come down. I don't know what they are. Oh yeah, should have killed them. <laughs> the amount that came down and the sound they make it's just you got like three three massive like pipes and you just smash them yep. that is a sound of like actual crushing bones <laughs> they should be dead i was not expecting them to get back up i'm like ah, oh, okay bye and so um they go down and Selleck and um gutenberg are in one elevator and he says tell me you got it tell me you got it he goes i got it and he's like but first he goes, I'm sorry. He goes, it's okay, it's okay. I'm like, I would not be this cool. But tell me, I got it. And they hug. I'm like, not in the woods yet. And so they're coming down, and the bad guys get to the other elevator. And we can clearly distinguish which one. And this is where we find out what Ted Dance and Jack's job is. His job is to kill the power to the elevator. The problem is there's six switches, and we don't know which one will do what. And he throws one, and that stops the good guy's elevator. And they're all panicked, and they're trying to get Jack to hit the right one. Now, if I'm Jack, and they're yelling at me, I'm going, okay, the first thing I have to do is reverse the one I just pulled. Yeah. So I can remember which one it was and go, that one's not the one. But he doesn't do that. He just waits. And they're trying to tell him which one to do. And meanwhile, the bad guys pass them. And as they go down, the the main bad guy goes, come back here. I'm waiting for you at the bottom. I want that home movie. Which is how you can tell like what part of technological advancement we are in. Mm-hmm. He doesn't want the videotape. He doesn't want the cassette. He doesn't want what's, what's in that camera. He wants that home movie. <laughs> um, America's funniest home videos are going to have like a great time with this one. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> Actually, that is the kind of thing that would win you the money. <laughs> um, this drug bust went wrong. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> And then we get to um, so then Danson finds the right switch, stops the bad guys, and they're like, it's like overacting one. It's like this is your chance to really have some lines. What's going on? 
What did you do? We can't be in here. Why is it stopped? Oh, no. And the police sounds, oh, no. And all we were missing was a wow, wow. <laughs> He needed like a catch, like a catchphrase, just like, "Oh, they goofed it again." <laughs> it's such a sitcom. Uh, and then Mac- Melkowitz shows up, and because Danson phoned him earlier, and says, "Ah, oh, you, Sergeant Melkowitz, I think you know my my roommates." And he says, "Those are the guys you want." And Sutherland comes in and goes, hey, "Everything's on this tape, and they're there." And he goes, "I book them, guys." He just totally believes everything these guys. Were we gonna vet them of a story downtown? No. <laughs> Why would they lie? So it's a neat little bow. And for the most part, we think that's it. And we have a lovely time lapse montage now, which kind of mirrors the first one where they were being womanizers. Yeah, and in the second so. one, it shows how much they've grown as they use the baby to be womanizers. <laughs> <laughs> in the song, uh, Wanna Be Daddy's Girl, which was, again, a nice... The choice of songs were really well done in this. They're good songs. Yeah. Yeah. And um, it shows them kind of adjusting to life with Mary. <laughs> I love Jack's adjustment. And this was... Um, the, the park scenes were shot in Central Park in New York. I was like, is this is Toronto Park? No, it is Central Park in New York. Um, but there was this great bit where they're all kind of doing various things. So Peter's got the baby a little hard hat, and then she's on site. And I think, I don't know, does Gutenberg ever leave the apartment? I think he just draws with her in the room or something like that. I don't know. Yeah. But, but we have this great shot of Jack on stage in this play. And the woman does this big speech, and he's kind of facing us. We're upstage, the I camera. Really, I really wondered why he was doing so much acting towards the back of the stage. I was like, surely a director would have told him this. And if he's a pro, he should definitely know this. It's like the acting 101. And I, oh. I want to see this play, because the line was that it is, she goes, and where will you be? And he goes, me? I'll tell you where I'll be, you silly bitch. <laughs> It's, I will I don't be know, in is the he purposely being bad as well. <laughs> uh, I don't think he was. I loved this, and then he turns I'll around and goes, "Tell you where I was, you silly bitch." Oh, I it think just it's much better so than that. Wooden. I think it's much better than that. I'll tell you where I'll be. You, he really kind of slurs the "you silly bitch." So he gets the sibilance, um, and then he turns around and you see the baby's attached to him the whole time, um, and so. Then we get to this lovely montage where they're preparing a bottle and it's got to go through three stages to get to Mary. And, of course, Tom Selleck is the final step. He is the one we need to see cradling her. And then we have 20 years later, this is still my most endearing memory of the film. The baby can't sleep, and they come on out, and they oh, sing yeah. Good Night, Sweetheart. Oh, you had baby swimming class as well. I was like, oh, baby swimming that class. Actually, that was really cute because he goes down with this. Like, Selleck isn't afraid to look uncool. He goes down and looks like a dork as he takes the picture yeah. and comes up, and it, he like. It was really cute, but at the same time, I'm thinking, like, you definitely wouldn't be able to do that nowadays in a pool with other other people well, and not. other babies. But be able to take photos of, really? like, underwater of people in swimming costumes and Babies. Even if it's like a, like, like, like a mums and me class or something like that. You definitely have to get permission. Maybe that. Really? Yeah. Okay. Um, but then we get back to Good Night, Sweetheart. And it's just a lovely moment. Yeah, it's cute. And they sing the song and the baby goes to sleep. And then um, Peter, and he's the one we follow back to his bed. Peter goes back to the bed where he's hanging out with Re- Rebecca. And it's good that she kind of stayed in the bed and she wasn't part of that. She's not mum. Yeah. She's not coming in as an extra person here. 
And then she does joke about how she can't sleep either. And maybe he can uh, sing to her a bit. And he starts <laughs> to kind of like play fight a little bit. Yeah. But he does get like a little do 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 you do in there as he does it, which was a cute moment. I just really like Rebecca. That scene. Yeah, which 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 one? The one when they're back in the bed or the one where uh, the one with Rebecca? They're just yeah. the play fight. It's re- it's really cute. Is that how we're describing it? Yeah, yeah. there's a lot of gen, but there's a lot of good chemistry there. Yeah, oh, I meant play fight. Yes, it is play. It, it kind of... Amorous play fighting. Can I do that? Ah, okay. Okay. Amorous play fighting. <laughs> They still don't have half the sexual energy that Pocahontas and John Smith have. No. Pocahontas. <laughs> <laughs> and then finally, enter Sylvia, because life is too perfect. Here comes Sylvia, played by Nancy Travis. If you've ever seen So I Married an Axe Murderer, she is the female lead in that, and she is great in that. Uh, also, she plays opposite uh, Tim Allen in Last Man Standing these days. Oh, that show. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, Home Improvement 2.0. Where they're all girls instead of boys. Yeah. And says, I've come to get her. How do we feel about Nancy? Because I'm going to be honest, I don't like her. Sorry, Sylvia, thank you. I don't like Sylvia. I hate her. Yeah. Yeah. She's she's just, oh, I can't do it anymore. But I can't do it now. But I can't do it anymore. (laughs) You abandon the kid. And then you come back. and Hi, I'm Sylvia. This is my baby. And I've come to take her home. Oh, by the way, when I said home. I mean England, and can I get her now? But also, she said, I shouldn't have left her the way I did. I hope it didn't cause too much trouble. Are, are you joking? Yeah. What? Like, how much, how easy do you think it is to take take care of a six-month-old baby? So all the way back in 88, when I first saw this, I hated her then. I still hated her now watching this. It's just um, that thing of, she's like, oh, I left her with you for, for ages. Is she okay? Yeah, she's doing great. Good. Well, I'm going to take her away, even though I've not been there at all. And just complete assumption that that's, that that's okay. No, like, would you mind? Or Did we need yeah. this? No. No. We just needed some, like, I mean, set up like, a sequel. Oh, manufacture yeah. drama. Because, again, I think the most important thing and the most fun thing is the end of, you know, is the end of the drug deal. That felt like the end of the movie. Again, it yeah. felt like this tacked on. You could have ended on. it with the good night sweetheart but like not with the yeah that's an ending not with the um amorous play fighting that would have that would have been a weird <laughs> no, ending so you need but, something else at the end of it but you're, you're but coming like down montage, you could have yeah you could have added in Here's the good night do. sweetheart bit first and then do the montage you have and, the morning you have them planning something. who's taking her what day and then you'll have her then i'll have her okay great they get into the stroller out they go and you find he's redone the mural with the three of them and the yeah. baby yep. anyway let's deal with what they gave us so like, what, an extra five ten minutes at best she goes and has a one-on-one meeting with jack in the bedroom i've got moving to london is complete bs you can't drop her off and then say i'm taking her out of the country no after yeah. the three of them have bonded and have been the primary caregivers they could have her done for child abandonment absolutely like oh, this yeah. was this was skirted over way too easily she sh- she should not be given they any custody over let, this child they let jack suffer and first. jack's a friend of theirs and they let him struggle. She gets off way too easy. I get that you're upset and you're crying, but there are things you can do. And one of them would have been show up and have a conversation mm-hmm. and say, I need your help. Anyway, uh, I know it doesn't get us the movie that we enjoyed, but it's still, if, if I'm supposed to, because for that, the movie, because when the characters forgive her, they're telling me I should forgive her. And yeah. I'm not ready to forgive her because I think there's just way too big of a deal here. Absolutely. And we know that they're friends with a detective. Dead easy. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And so, and to be fair, no one asks about like, I mean, are you allowed to ask? Is this your baby? Can you prove it's your baby? Are these things you can ask people? Well, I guess the fact that she turns up on the doorstep and knows the Not baby. That. I guess I'm referring name. back to the detective, uh, Semkowitz or whatever his name is, when there's the big pulling match between uh, the chief bad guy and Tom Selleck about putting the baby and they're p- p- tugging back and oh, forth. Yeah. And no one asks, can you prove this is your baby? Yeah. Because remember, there's a tug of war over, like, a, you know, a baby in a bassinet. I think that's, I think you've got, you know, probable cause to go, can you prove to me this is your kid? I feel like nowadays that would definitely happen, but I don't know if yeah. maybe. It was the 80s. People were always yeah. doing that. <laughs> um, and so they they do that. And let me phrase that. I'll pick it back up. <laughs> We have, we have a conversation from outside of the room, and it's Gutenberg and Selleck, and they're talking about, I don't want her to go. I don't want her to go either. And Selleck's doing it with just great nuance, and Gutenberg's going, well, I don't want her to go. <laughs> and I'm like, if acting's a choice, like, what did you turn down to, to, to land there? <laughs> but he goes, okay. And he goes, Chop well, Bill. And, and I know he's got the lines of the guy who's more upset I, I get that but i just didn't there was ways you could deliver that and would make it seem you know like you weren't just reading lines yeah but uh so i goes, look i mean he, he, jack's got to make the call it's not our it's not our place anymore now i would think actually you've got an okay one to knock on the door and go look i'm mm-hmm. not here to talk about the whatever we were the primary caregivers for a week or two or however long he was there for for this kid so you've got to um You've, we, we, we get a say in this and this is not how it's happening um, and so it turns up Jack I think he's trying to th- I think Jack's trying to do what he thinks the right thing is by letting her go Jack's trying to extend the movie <laughs> I think Jack's going I didn't know about her she's really struggled I wasn't even here for the kid to begin with I'm not very good at it this yes, is the thing is. that feels he's right he's the one that takes to it really naturally I think he feels he inconvenienced his friends. Like, this is all interpretation, but but that's, that's where I'm going. I think Jack thinks he's doing the right thing. I don't think that's what he wants to do. I think he thinks he's doing the right thing. And I think it's logical. I think he believes, I am a screw-up. He hasn't quite hit yeah. that, I'm a father. I am a screw-up. Um, and so they, they they go. She she takes the baby, and off they go. Sylvia and Mary. And we get the shot, and I was confused for a minute because the one really nice shot in this whole movie that I went, I love this. We have a shot from above of Jack looking like he's singing to the bassinet to Mary. And I'm like, did I miss something? And he's saying, good night, sweetheart. Well, but it's not. It's him singing in the jukebox. And we get that as a reveal in the in subsequent shot. And I thought it was really nice. Uh, then we have Peter. Peter lifts up his hard hat to find the pink hard hat of the baby. Uh, and Michael just looks mad. He's watching videotapes. <laughs> yeah, but he looks mad. He looks sad. And they're really, but I will say this, they're really good about letting Jack get there himself. Because Jack goes, yeah. I, I don't feel great. Well, why is that? Is it something you ate? I don't think something I ate. And they're not going, it's Mary. You miss Mary. The, 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 he needs to get there by himself. And it was a, it was a little bit extended more than I would have liked probably. But his, he turns around and he goes, I miss Mary. And Gutenberg, his face lights up like it's Christmas morning, and he just saw a bicycle under the tree with his name on it. <laughs> Where Salak goes, so what do you want to do about it? Mm. And he's like got a smile, but it's like a res- it's not like, wow, I didn't see that coming. Yeah. Yay! Which is what Gutenberg he's like, did. 
aha, he's got it. Yeah. Google's like, oh, he's he's figured everything out. It's all come together. It's all going to be okay, guys. <laughs> uh, and this is where I want to talk about his hair for a moment because I meant to talk about it earlier. Because I saw it from behind and I was like, you can't even tell. Because Tom Selleck's hair is so poofy because he wears a wig. Really? Wait, Tom Selleck? You mean Tom, oh, sorry, Ted Danson. Ted Danson's hair is so poofy because he wears a wig. That makes so much sense. That's mm. why it's so high and it looks so perfect all the time. Uh, he famously took it off during one episode of Cheers. But no, he's worn a rug ever since he started on Cheers in 82. Mm. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, But he must have a really good wig guy because you can never tell. I wouldn't have. Yeah. No. I just assumed it was just a lot of product. No, it just it's just it's just a good it's just a good wig. Uh and so when's their flight leaving and they all run out of the building as that tent score plays again. And I'm like, how many scenes are people running in this film? Mm-hmm. Uh and the score is so good despite being so eighties. And just some writing down, this score is so eighties, a saxophone started playing. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't make it up. Um and then Airport security is lax in 1987. Yep. Did they buy a ticket? You can no. You can just nope. go to the gate. And back in the day, you could go. That's to the, not good. Back in the day, you you could go to the gate with someone. Yeah. If, as long as you got through, the law. as long as you got through security, you could go to the gate, and you would go there and you would leave people and you could meet people at the gate too. I forget what, what movie it was, but there was a thing busy. about meeting people at the gate, and that was a big thing. Don't don't meet them at luggage retrieval. Meet them at the gate. That means that you still care about them. You couldn't do that anymore. No. So there's that. And then they go, are we too late? Are we too late? British Airways, flight 176, 176. And 176 is an actual flight route between JFK and London Heathrow. So I appreciated that level of detail. And I got a question, though, because her parents must be loaded, because if she's flying British Airways, there are cheaper alternatives. Just saying. They're loaded. They're loaded. Because that's her plan. She's going to go back and live with her parents. Because nothing says independent working actress, like living with mom and dad as you, uh, I guess if you're in London, you can that still try and like get on the- independent working actress. <laughs> um, and they're back. They've missed their shot. And they go back to the apartment. And Sylvia is there sitting on the floor and crying, which is kind of what Sylvia did in this movie. Um, Sylvia doesn't want to make another mistake. Sylvia wants help. You sound like I'm being sarcastic in my my bullet points, but I'm really not trying to be. Sylvia needs help. But Peter decides, because they're like, oh, boy. And again, Gutenberg's like, this all worked out. He goes, I don't want to just be your babysitter. I think Mary should move in permanently. At which point, Sylvia misses the point, which is fine. But I go, hey, do you have the room? And I'm like, have you seen this place? <laughs> they got a room just for old videotapes in like 19... 19- like you can definitely yeah. get a room. Now he goes, I'll build you a room. Now, to be build fair... Sylvia a room, because yeah. now she's moving in too. Yeah. That's the thing. I'll build you a room, he says. Now, that's the thing. She said, do you have the room? Now, building you a room doesn't create extra space in your like, you know... <laughs> So the question is, do you have the room? That doesn't answer that question. <laughs> but the answer do you is, have yes. enough rooms in this four-bedroom house? Yes. I'll make you a yes, room. Yes, do you? But you don't have enough bedrooms. I'll make you a room. That answers that question. Do you have enough room? As in, you can't create like extra floor space that juts out into. You know, there's there's hey, nothing below architect. you. He's an architect. He can do this. He's got <laughs> those yellow pipes. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. If he's like, hey, behind this ghost child, I found a new room. It was haunted the entire time. Mm-hmm, yeah, this and, scene really annoyed me though because it was like, 
why does Peter think he's the one that's got the authority to just invite two people to live with them? Because the, one of whom is the ex of one of your roommates. The whole movie has been Peter suggests something and the, 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 they come around to it eventually. Absolutely. And by all means, he's allowed to suggest it in a conversation with just the three of them where he at least just goes, I'm thinking that would be okay. Is that cool with you guys? Like, don't just invite your well, friend's ex to come and live with you. It sounds like, you know, Peter's already like paying the rent for Jack. As we found out earlier in the film. I think this is another extension of that. But we get the last shot. The mural's been redone. And they come on out. And they all take out the stroller. And it extends. And the four of them can all have their handles on it. And it mirrors the shot of them in the mural behind them. And they walk off of, out of the shot. And that's credits. Now keep in mind, the lift is literally just outside of the shot. And they can't fit in with the handle <laughs> extended. So it had to recollapse it back <laughs> to get into the lift. But it's a cute final shot. I did wonder why the mother is all the way to the end in that final mural shot. She's all the way to the right, and it's Tom Selleck in the middle, flanked by his boys, <laughs> and then she's off to the side. Kind of suggesting what the film wanted us to go. It's about the boys. And that's our movie. What did we think about Three Men and a Baby? Uh, I didn't dislike it, but it's not one I'm ever coming, coming back to. I'm like, it, It's got cute moments, but okay. it's not enough to be like, yeah, this is great. Okay. I really enjoyed it. I liked it. I said last week, I said, oh, the acting. Some of the acting's atrocious and some of the writing's atrocious. The writing was okay. It was what it was meant for. And the acting was only bad in the sense of the... I mean, the people who weren't the mains were caricatures. But for the most part, I didn't mind them. I only minded the drug dealers and on occasions, Sergeant Melkowitz. You've just spent like the entire podcast saying how much you hate Michael. Oh, let me phrase that. As far as the acting, yeah. And Michael. I hated Michael. <laughs> I hated Michael. Really? Hated. Uh, maybe it took two TV stars to show him what acting was. I don't know. You hated Michael? I hated. Wow. I hated him. What? <laughs> Are you kidding me? Hey, it's, jo- it's Stevie Gutenkuh. Only that guy would think of a call in his autobiography, the Gutenberg Bible. That kind of gives you the idea of what Gutenberg thinks of himself. His career went off the a cliff in the 90s. Oh, wow. He couldn't get anything else. Like, thank God, like, the, the sequel to the film came out because he got something. So, um, how much of a different film is this today? Very, very. Because so much of this film is we couldn't reach you, you couldn't reach us, there's a misunderstding. Like, Jack, you just want to send him like a picture on WhatsApp or on some group messenger going, yo, this is your kid. <laughs> or, is this the package? No. Or, <laughs> Hi, Jack, this is Sylvia. I've left a baby on your doorstep. Oh, reply to message. <laughs> or he goes, actually, you know that girl? She says she's having a baby. Like, there's like, you know, whatever. And. And, and she says that she's... Yeah, she'd have her pregnancy photos kinda, all over Facebook, she right? She kind of needs some... Looks like she needs some help. I could get... Maybe I should help. I think that might be me. But also, I don't think you'd get away with it today in terms of, like, social care and just, you know, people being aware that you were yeah. three guys that randomly had a baby. Like, Also, I mean, like, you wouldn't need that big thing with the video camera at the end because everybody has smartphones or CCTV mm-hmm. or things like yeah. that everywhere. Uh, you could have lo- location trackers on your phones. You could do any number of things that would – the whole opera mishap wouldn't happen. And I kind of bring this up because although there was a sequel, they are, as we said last week, remaking this film. Yeah, oh. I'm I'm really intrigued now because I didn't really know what the plot of this film would be until I saw it. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of things that happen in this film which you 
men wouldn't get away with now, especially no. how they act. Yeah, how they act, but also things even yeah. like you know, none of them know how to do anything. You know, you just yeah. YouTube it now, wouldn't you? Yeah. Mm-hmm. If Unless anything, you're gonna have like thirty thirty like minutes of Jusaka from being like. Google, how do I do it? Yeah. And it's just him messing it up and being like, hey guys, it's me, cool guy McGee. We're going to do something cool and make a dive. Like, I, and I you really know, don't see how you can make it for this. And, you, and, and you know, Zach Efron will be playing the uh, Tom Selleck role, won't he? Yeah. Yeah. Um, actually, I don't know if they have any of the other two. No, I can check. Okay. Though, if they don't, I wonder if we can like come up with some ideas. Yeah. Of, like, up-and-coming actors. I'm trying to think. I don't really care about the mum that much, because she, uh, unless her part's going to be extended more. But I think it really is about, the, about the, as it says on, on, on the card, three men and the baby. So mm-hmm. uh, who's, who's kind of a TV-er who could... Oh, well, I don't know. I don't know. You need someone like... I kind of want to see Robert Patterson do it just because he's <laughs> currently doing Batman. You can't, have two, you can't have two pretty boys. You'd hope they can't have two it's pretty boys. Who's like... Andy Samberg. I feel like Samberg's a bit too old for it. You need, Samberg you need, couldn't do dancing? Oh, wait, no, sorry. Sam- I was thinking... I don't. My brain went to Andy from the office, and I thought of no, Ed, no, Ed no, the Helms. not Ed Helms, Andy Samberg, yeah, and have Andy him would be fantastic, and have him do the. Uh, he could do either of the two. Actually, he could do. Yeah, I think he could do Gutenberg. Very. I, well. I really want him as dancer, but he could do Gutenberg. I'm trying to think. Of who who does the dancing role? You need someone who's currently like. Paul Rudd's too old. Yeah, you need like a ladies' man kind of person. <laughs> Uh oh god. No, maybe maybe more for Michael, but you could kind of get away with Adam Devine, except for the fact that he's played oh a nanny in I, Adam Devine because he's, played, yeah. because he's played Manny, um Andy in um Modern, Modern Family, Family where he's like actually really good with kids. It might be a bit too much to then put him in a role. But where all three of them are kinda of like that, wow. I mean not Ephraim, but they were two like, Wow, this is crazy like oh. All their laughs come from over-emoting. I'm just looking for someone who kind of breeds cool a bit. And I really can't think of one, so that's yeah, okay. nothing here. Well, hopefully uh, someone else will be able to think of one when they make the movie. Yeah. I hear there's more than two actors in Hollywood these days. We'll yeah. see. There's at least like five. There's at least like five. I agree with yeah. that. I agree with that. So, um, what about the role of women in this film? Um... It's an interesting yeah. one because Rebecca kind of gets to be the well. I think you said earlier she's kind of like an equal to to Peter in that she completely is okay with the way that their relationship is as well, and it is like for like. So I suppose she's got the strength shown there, um, and also the idea that not all women have to be maternal. I think that's really important. Um, and then you've got the the woman without children that's really overly maternal and you've got like um ted dancer's mum is really cool yeah and you've so, got the woman at the grocery store oh she's Edna. amazing I think <laughs> she's my favorite <laughs> she's great um, um i mean sylvia's a stupid cow yeah yeah she is so i mean the, the role of women isn't great but but she does teach us that women aren't naturally maternal and that includes the woman who's yeah, had the that's true. And, and we could go down and we don't we could go down the whole because the movie doesn't doesn't direct us to but I mean, if this was like a, not a beat for beat comedy sort of thing, we could talk about postpartum depression. Absolutely. I think quite quite easily here, and the movie just sort of mm-hmm. skirts over that by her going, "I'm just really tired." Yeah, and I'm a single mom. Yeah. And I'm trying to work. It's 
the, the thing is that character isn't built up enough to explore those themes and no. to really appreciate her for those reasons. And then she just comes across as really stupid. So we all hate her. Yeah, I agree. But I think overall the role of women in the film is obviously limited, but it has got quite a lot of diversity and it is called Three Men and a Baby. The comedy I mean, comes from putting people in unfamiliar circumstances. And to do that, you need to keep the men isolated. Because the expectation, even amongst the audience, is kind of like, where are these female characters going to show them how it's done? And by removing that, you kind of then get to see them grow. And we get to see them win. And we sort of cheer along with them. Either, you know, maybe some people in the audience uh, who are parents might get audience superiority and go, those stupid people. And it's endearing then to watch them succeed. Or people like myself who are like, I have no clue what I would do, get to go, good on you, better than me. So I don't know. But I think the role of the women, uh, I'm... As a, I mean, as, as as an outsider, as a guy, I'm sitting here going, the women are all really kind of strong, and complicated, in various ways. Yeah, With, they're very. They are assertive at points. Like it's not. It's like we said before. Um, when they go to, I can't remember her name, but they're like, "You can do it. You're a woman." She's like, "No, that's not how that works." So, no. Let's jump into this. Favorite character, and I'll, I'll give you favorite main character, favorite bit character. You can have two. Easy. Favourite character, Peter. Favourite bit character, is it Edna? Edna, I think it's Edna. The, the lady in the supermarket, okay. for yeah. sure. All right. The, the exact same, because I don't like um, Gutenberg at all, and Ted Danson <laughs> has just got really weird hair in this. He, is, he doesn't have enough presence, I feel, for me that, to go, that oh yeah, disqualifies like him. him. He does miss yeah. a big chunk of the film, and I almost think, in a way, he's almost like, there's two men and a baby. Like two and a half men, yeah. yeah. And then he gets half of a man, but he's the dad, so he kind of gets equal billing on a technicality. Yeah, he's there basically like the sec, the, like the final half of the second act. He does it. He's just there. He doesn't he, even get to like have a yeah. face off with the bad guys. He's down off to yeah. the side. So it's, it's an interesting no choice. Real, he doesn't have enough of a growth other than just there's now a baby, but it's not like he he hasn't yeah. had to deal with everything else. He's just sort of there. I'm gonna go Peter and Rebecca. Oh yeah, because yeah. I, I also really enjoyed that relationship throughout and all its complicated mess because we saw them together and then we saw them apart when she was dating um yon who i did like and we see him dating some random girls in the montage and then we see them together but they're not together and that hasn't changed and if and she's an equal partner in that she she decides that in the first on his birthday of all things she decides she's not going to stay that's her choice she decides she won't back down and she's the one who instigates the humor. And humor is even a trait that we tend to associate with male actors or a trait that we consider masculine. And yet in that scene where she's like, sing to me, I'm feeling kind of sleepy, but no, I, I can't fall asleep. Can you help me with singing a bit? That's quite funny. And she gets to do that. We so, can be funny sometimes. Yeah. You got Melissa McCarthy? <laughs> <laughs> I love Melissa McCarthy. I want to explicitly state <laughs> women can absolutely be just as funny as men. Kristen Wiig's fantastic. Um, and there are many men who I don't think are funny who we all go, oh, he's fine. I, which, go listen to worst, the, the worst film ever episode. You'll hear me complain about lots of them. I re-listened to that today, actually. Yeah. Because I'm really narcissistic. Uh, yeah. Well, <laughs> that's what someone was telling me. They were, they were listening to it. And I said, oh, good call. It's the shortest one. And they went, no, no, no. I really like talking about bad films. I went, well, we're kind of limited in that regard on the best <laughs> Maybe film Maybe not the ever. podcast for you then. It's not really the name. Yeah. But there we go. Um, April Fool's Day. Favorite. Maybe. maybe. Favorite bit. Um, the bit in the supermarket with Edna is my my favorite scene in the whole film. Um, she just she just makes it. I just love her. She's fantastic. Ethan, 
I enjoy the final montage when they're all like actually properly being like dads together, and it's just it's very. Is this nice. the bit where they're using the baby as like as like yeah. a way to get with girls? I just, I just, <laughs> I just found it really entertaining. One, yes, because that's great. But two, I think it's just that joke of Ted dancing having the baby on his back. I genuinely like cackled at that because yeah. I wasn't yeah, expecting silly it. Bitch. I, I will say the one thing I liked about Gutenberg was there was a bit where I don't know if it was Selleck or Danson. It was one of them had like 20 girls around them and Gutenberg grabs the baby and walks off and they all follow Gutenberg yeah. off. And I was like, I appreciate anything that's got Gutenberg and time lapse. I appreciate yeah. <laughs> He could do physical comedy, just not verbal. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, yeah. Um, also, it was like a long distance shot. So I couldn't see his overacting face too much. <laughs> um, so age game, the age game. Let's all play the age game. Do you not want to have a grumble? Oh, Grumble. Sorry. my The Grumble's the end of a Grumble. Grumble. So, firstly, how incompetent that they all are, like the extent to which they're incompetent. Right. But then also, at the end, it really annoys me that Peter and Michael don't say anything to Jack and they just let let him, let Sylvia take the baby because they specifically, like they outright say, we don't think that Jack wants her to go either. And they don't even just have a little conversation and be like, mate, it's not cool. Yeah. Uh, Ethan. I hate everything that is the drugs subplot because it yes. makes no sense. It adds nothing. If you remove that, everything's so much better. You can have a different kind of concern. Hell, even be it just that this might be like because I just watched Lilo and Stitch, but just have it that someone has to take the baby away unless they don't look after the baby and they've grown attached to <laughs> a three the baby. Day countdown. I really yeah. hope they don't put Seth Rogen in the remake. <laughs> Oh my god! I had thought about that. No, 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 it's no, no. That's too close. That's too close to knocked up. That's too close to knocked up. I don't think he goes there again. Um, Ethan, that's a really good point, and I hadn't thought about that. The thing about the movie that I think dates it is that really clumsy drug subplot. Yeah, I think it is. I think um, maybe a little bit more could have been made. This film has been remade like a bunch of times. Uh, I found the cover of a Hindi version. I think it was of, <laughs> and it's called "Hey Baby." <laughs> So, um, it's also the whole TV show, Baby Daddy. Is it? Yeah, I think yeah. it's it's a concept that's timeless. I think it's a concept that's uh, without borders. I think we we typically maybe maybe timeless. Maybe we're not. Maybe we're moving away from that plot spot to a degree. But I think we would still argue the stereotype is still that men are useless with babies. And that more women than men sort of seem to have a competency with 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 babies or or an affinity for, for for babies, if you will. Which is what and Melkowitz, actually, say what you will about him. He was the one male character who was really, really uh paternal. Yeah. And wanted to hold the baby and smell the baby. And even outside that we saw the same thing happen when when he's not even looking for drugs anymore, when it's not a cover, he still wanted to sort of see the baby. So I did like yeah. that. My thing would be I want to go with Steve Gutenberg. I just think <laughs> I just think you've got two I mean, they're all big stars, but you look at the acting ability and the story that's told, and I just think there had to be someone better for that role. Michael J. Fox could have done that role. Yeah. Although I have yeah. a hard time seeing Michael J. Fox and Tom Selleck hanging out for like half the movie when when, when Danson's away. <laughs> It'd be like he's there with his dad, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> also, because of Michael J. Fox's height, he comes up to what, like Tom Selleck's knee. Could you yeah. have? Could you have like, <laughs> like two babies? Could you have like a young Michael Keaton do that role? I think maybe, maybe, maybe with the baby. 
Um, age game, age game. Let's all play the age game. And we're running a little bit tight. Yes, we're very tight. So we'll let's start go with Tom Selleck then. I'm going to go 36. Oh, I'm thinking like 42. No way. He's 42. What? No. Yeah. What? He's actually 42. I didn't wow. think he was that old either. That but makes yeah. him like 75 now. That's insane. I was just thinking because he's like, he's pretty old in Friends and there's that whole subplot about that. Yep. Uh, then Ted Danson. Okay. Uh, I'm going to go with, if he was 30, 42, I'm going to say that he's 36. I'm going 34. He is 40. Wow. That's a big wow on that one. And then Gutenberg, I'm assuming. Yep. Okay. I'm going to go, I'm going to go 36. I'm going to keep going young. 37. Ready for this? Yeah. 29. Wow. Okay. No. He is a lot younger. He's a lot younger. So you could have Michael J. Fox. Problem was, Michael J. Fox looked ten years younger than he was. Yeah. Um, all right. Anybody else? Or is that it? No, that's it. Okay, good and done. So, um, just a quick thing: uh, Three Men and a Baby generally held it uh, as a positive, has a seventy-five percent fresh rating on Rotten Tomatoes, as we would say in my country, or Rotten Tomatoes, as you might say in yours. Um, and Roger Ebert said, despite noting several aspects of the film, he saw as flaws. He did say, because of Selick and his co-stars, the movie becomes a heartwarming entertainment and gave it three out of four stars. So what is your rating of the film out of ten? I am going to give it seven and a half cartons of powdered milk out of ten. Oh, you stole my little gimmick at the end. Of that. Okay. Oh. Seven and a half cartons of milk out of ten. All right. Ethan. I'm giving it six Ted Danson wigs out of ten. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to go seven choruses of Goodnight Sweetheart out of ten. <laughs> and all that does is leaves us to talk about what we are doing next week. And next week we are diving, we are walking, we are tremblingly getting back to nature, back to animated classics with a very early member of a Disney animated catalog. Get those hankies ready for the opening act. We are going to see Bambi. Oh. Yeah, Bambi, Bambi, Bambi. She thinks I'm cute. Wait, is that that one? No, that's 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 Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer. My bad. Uh, <laughs> what? <laughs> I don't think I've properly seen this. I saw this in like an oh, airport really? lounge oh, when I was like seven. So please join us next week. We will be talking about Bambi. And please, uh, if the time you hear us tomorrow, we will be dropping our Robin Williams special bonus episode. Why not check that out with the whole gang from, well, still not Georgia, but the three of us. And we'll be joined by uh, Liam from Best Film Ever. And we will have a good time talking about that. So for Talking to Mickey, I have been Ian. I've been Ellie. And I've been Ethan. And we hate to leave you, but we really must say good night, sweetheart. Good night. I will see you burn in hell. You'll see me where? In hell, you heard me. Yes, and where will you be while I'm burning in hell? I'll tell you where I'll be, you silly bitch. I will be in Niagara Falls. That's where.